Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today, we're going to be taking a look at a number of titles. We're going to take one last look at the Heroes Reborn universe, examining all of the remaining issues, including its giant finale. From there, our team is going to be working to examine Marvel Voices Pride, a one-shot that was released during Pride Month that left a lot of controversy online and sparked a lot of discussion. So we have two different rooms examining this landmark issue. First things first, the team says goodbye to the exciting world of Heroes Reborn and hello to the repercussions of such a dynamic and drastic AU from the amazing reaction to the Rainbow Axe or the breathtaking what might be the best Flash issue to ever come out of Marvel. This series had a lot that myself, Nathan, Rod, and Jonah really loved, and we hope you guys love it too. And don't forget, if you guys like what you hear, you'll probably like what you see, so give us a subscribe over on YouTube, where we provide the Daily X, new content every day over on YouTube. We love making this show for you at least twice a week, every week, so give us a subscribe over on Apple Podcasts and maybe drop us a review. And until then, enjoy this next segment. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Excess for Podcast, the show where we investigate comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, it's Nathan. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA. Hi, you can find me. Oh, I'm Rod. Oh, shit. Mm. I'm Rod, <laughs> and you can find me. I'm Rod, and you can find me at Rod Kamada on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at peak jonah that's p-e-a-k and we hope you have this experience unlike the squadron supremes will to live in this new world after they changed everything because you know what they weren't meant to be the heroes especially when their tendons are severed (laughs) seriously it it got dark but you know before anything else i just want to let everybody know what we're going to be covering today the first story we're going to be taking a look at today night gwen by ayala and karami and arseniega We're going to be taking a look at Squadron Savage by Sax, Pizari, and Lopez. We're going to be jumping on over to Heroes Reborn by Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis, the guys who put this whole project together. From there, we're going to jump on over to the Great White North, and we're going to take a look at Ed Brisson and Roland Boshi doing their work over on Weapon X and Alpha Flight, before finally finding ourselves back with Ed McGinnis, Jason Aaron, Mark Morales, and Matthew Wilson for Heroes Return number one. So I need to stress how much I was overwhelmed by these issues and how much I can't wait to get to them. But first things first, uh, there was a little bit of technical difficulties uh, last episode and it seems like Nathan got swallowed by the void. So uh, Nathan, my good buddy, I want to know what did you think about number six? Number six was a roller coaster ride of emotions. Like I think it made me like actually like the Squadron Supreme more because I just wanted to like fucking love Zarda so much and i'm like i'm like i'm like you tore apart king gray but i kind of dig you for it so like hey you know like she's like the badass i really wish i could build it well i mean and what you missed last episode was rod being like you know i really identify with her so (laughs) i mean you know everybody everybody had a little bit of something about zarda and you know we all went pretty 
nuts over that rainbow axe. We were all pretty into that. So that was pretty exciting. Now we find ourselves with five very, very different issues. And the first issue I want to take a look at is Night Gwen, because in this world, spiders ain't shit, right? And it's so funny because, you know, I even heard Night Gwen, Night Gwen, and I'm like, Night Gwen, what a, what a weird, dumb way to, oh, Nighthawk, Nighthawk, Night Gwen. Oh, okay. Well, now I get it. And I'm like, but you gave the goblin to Nighthawk. And I don't think like I know any famous spider Gwen or ghost spider or whatever the fuck uh, villains. So I'm like, who the hell is her villain? All of this to make Flash Thompson evil. All of that. All of that. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> well, I guess if he doesn't have Peter to bully, he's got to focus on Gwen and become an obsessive stalker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, regardless of if it was a strong issue or not, I because I was talking about this with Nico a while ago in a different green room, and I said, okay, if Nighthawk is our Batman stand-in, who's also mixed with Spider-Man, and he's given the Spider-Man villains as well as Spider-Man side characters like Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider and um, Goblin, okay, well, who does that make Gwen Stacy in terms of Batman? I said Harley Quinn. No, it doesn't fully make sense in terms of, because Harley Quinn was never really a Batman sidekick, as far to my knowledge, but it is a little more on the nose of she's working in a psychology uh, facility, working with a bunch of criminals, eventually succumbs to one of the criminals and becomes evil. So like, in that in that sense, I liked it, because I liked that, and I also liked her relationship with Misty Knight, which I guess makes Misty Knight the poison ivy of this world. Um, but, see, I went, not much I else went, happened. <laughs> I totally went Nightwing. Her sidekick starts with the word night, uh, long hair sometimes. Maybe that's reductive, but uh, I was just like, Nightwing, because Batman, Night Gwen. <laughs> see, you I know, think the- it had very much, like, um, Huntress in Amalgam vibes, so like, I was like, this is like, Carol Danvers is a Bat character. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I see what I think what they did, since, you know, Deadpool kind of got the crazy side of Harley Quinn, because he was even <laughs> crazier. <laughs> I feel like they gave, you know, like uh, what Jonah said, like, um, her doctorate, you know, they gave Gwen her doctorate, and then they made Gwen also Nightwing, because Nightwing is, like, the one that does things on his own, is not with Batman all the time, and she's doing things on her own, she's not with Nighthawk all the time. So, I did think, and I guess they gave her a, a lesbian relationship <laughs> with Misty Knight, but like not. It was like very innuendo, which I was very confused about. Cause I was like, how old is Gwen? But she also has a doctorate, so I guess she's she's an adult. So well, because it's you know, like real Gwen Stacy, not like fighter. True. This That's is true. also Vita Ayala, who we number one, super love. Yeah. Number mm-hmm. two, mm-hmm. longtime friend of the pod. Mm-hmm. Number three, one thing that we have noticed in a lot of Vita's writing is they really like to lean into hard to define romantic, platonic, touchy, cuddly. You know, sometimes I think about the dialogue they gave Gene and Storm in that early issue of Marauders they did, where, you know, it was, oh, you're always so much more formal when you're nervous in uh, Children of the Atom. And then the characters in Children of the Atom are all vaguely polypan. And then we all kind of thought the New Mutants characters were super gay at each other. And now we're not so sure because of Pride. So I do find myself curious about how much of that is Vita's influence 
influence and how much of that is the story it, it may be their writing style because like i don't think they necessarily intended for say shan and danny to be perceived as the couple that they are mm. so i i think it's just the way they write it kind of comes across in it you know like a love uh, relationship kind of way yeah yeah absolutely and it's you know it'll be a lot of it is we do have to think about an author or creator's intent but we also have to think about our own personal biases and what we want to see and what we want and it's something that a lot of creators do have to take consideration is well how can this be read if i you give this to a queer audience will they interpret it as something that's more romantic or something that's more is there and that's something that a lot of writers have to keep in mind when they are creating things to not verge on you know i, I hate to throw the word out queer baiting but it's something that i think a lot of people do have to keep in mind of how are they writing things as opposed to queer coding in a much more positive light if they're not given the go-ahead maybe Vita wasn't potentially allowed to say outright say that they were dating but wanted to show like they're dating but maybe wasn't given the go-ahead so there's a lot that we're obviously not privy to as podcasters not in the x offices but or i guess marvel offices because it's not an x book <laughs> <laughs> um Everything else about this issue, for me, was one of the stronger narrative fill-ins of filling out the world in terms of, I found it interesting. I actually found Gwen Stacy's perspective of the world and her delicate relationship with Night uh, with Nighthawk interesting. Also, I didn't get the parallels between Nightwing. I more saw it as when Batman adopts one of his many kids because he has so many of them, they're often first given Bat blank. Like we got Batgirl. I imagine at one point Robin was Bat boy okay i definitely vibe on that and you know i actually need to take a quick moment and realize that i forgot to mention an issue that we are going to be covering today we're also going to be covering tim seeley and dan jurgen's marvel double action which we've actually talked about extensively like we've talked about it every single episode one way or another so all i really want to mention about it is that is the story that is referenced here repeatedly about falcon tragically dying and that being sort of the jason todd death in the family kind of vibe and, you know, the thing that I did walk away from that story with that really bothered me was that it felt like Falcon was fridged as a side character in the story. Like, it wasn't even his story. Falcon didn't um, even die a noble death. Falcon just died. And that just felt very like. Yeah, I feel like Falcon's supposed to be the Jason Todd of this universe. And then it's like, what if Jason Todd never came back and it made Batman or I guess Nighthawk <laughs> more crazy or more more hardened um, in feelings and emotions and all of that. And I, I found it really interesting that um, we had so many, now that I think about it, so many Nighthawk stories, it very reflects a lot of DC because they have a lot of Batman stories. So I think that's why we probably had so many Nighthawk stories because it's like, this is a mirror of like DC comics or 90s, 80s comics. So, I mean, it, it fits in sure. all these stories, like in the 80s, 90s Batman stories, not all of them were needed and, <laughs> and they had too many and just like this, <laughs> Not all of them were needed, and we had too many. <laughs> yeah. I, I will never forget uh, I was looking through uh, this book I found in Barnes and Noble about the golden and silver age of comics and it was talking about everything Marvel and everything DC and all the other publishers that helped pave the way to now what we have for the comic industry I remember there was a panel from some Batman issue where he's in space and he's on a different planet and he's like the gravity can't affect me uh, no the gun can't affect me because the gravity is all different and I just remember reading that line I was like who thought of this <laughs> who put Batman 
Batman in space. Who put Bruce up there in space? And it's made up some uh, funny Billionaires sci-fi about it. love space. They do. Billionaires love space. The whiter, the richer, the spacier. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Some of those uh, some of those stories were a little out there. But they were amazing. Like, yeah, they all were written well, I feel like, though. Even though if they weren't all needed, they all were written well. <laughs> yeah. Now, Rod, I do want to ask you that, because I know, like, one of the things that I've loved the most about working with you over the last year is your dedication to story story quality, even if, like, if you like a story, but it's problematic, you're the first person to be like, I might like it, but that doesn't make it okay. And mm. if a story is not great, but really diverse and inclusive, you're like, I love what they're trying to do, <laughs> but maybe we can fix it a little bit. Mm. How did you feel about Falcon being, in many ways, kind of humbled as a character and kind of removed from his status? And this is such a big time for Sam Wilson with the TV yeah. show. And yet, you know, I know you're also so positive on women characters. You're so positive on seeing women put in positions of power and authority. And it was kind of for Gwen in a lot of ways, right? How did you feel about that sort of trade-off? Or did you not see it as a trade-off? Was that two separate thoughts for you? I mean, kind of both. I mean, you can see it both ways, I feel like. You can see it as not a trade-off at all because like Batman in DC, he does like have a lot of sidekicks slash kids. So like, so she could be so many of them, you know? Um, and there's so many more women now as sidekicks, so she could be any one number of them as well. Uh, but I did think the way they kind of hindered Falcon, they made him weaker than everybody else. I mean, look at Night Gwen. She's so like agile and strong and has no superpowers, which is great. Like I'm happy for her. But with Falcon, they made him so weak in that double action, uh, Marvel double action. And I just don't understand it. I was reading and I was like, I don't, Nighthawk has like so much like ability and he has no powers so many other ones have so much ability even miles has like can beat up people and he's a teenager and i'm just like so falcon (laughs) could not do anything except die all right, I guess. I guess they didn't want to make Miles die because he's which young, I appreciate, which yeah. is yeah. is is nice. Um, I would appreciate if no one died, but I guess they had to be like Nighthawk is the moral compass and he has to be corrupted somehow. I mean, but I also feel like there are so many members of the squadron that haven't really mattered. You know, when, when we think about the squadron, the squadron is reflective of a parallel of DC and it transforms blah 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 blah. But you know, when we think about the squadron, we think about the Mark <laughs> Grunewald series and we think about the characters contained in that. 1986 seminal series that was part of the comics invasion of 1986, the Holy Trinity year, that of course gave us things like Daredevil, uh, Born Again, it gave us The Dark Knight Returns, it gave us the origins of Watchmen. So like, you know, you started to really get the things that mattered in that period, and one of those big things was Squadron Supreme. And there are so many characters from that run that haven't appeared. I'm not trying to sound like that guy, but when there were so few minority characters, couldn't you have picked a different sacrificial white guy when so many of the characters in authority and power and certainty were white guys. I appreciate that we can point to Nighthawk, but we can point to Nighthawk. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, Falcon isn't in any story right now anyway. Um, he had nope. that one mini way before his, um, you know, Disney Plus release, which is because of COVID. So, I mean, can't really blame it. But like, he is in nothing right now. He was yeah. in this. And what else is he in? He's in no current non-AU story. So... Just chilling in the rookery. I guess yeah. so. He's just in Manhattan, I guess, in his apartment. 
apartment not doing anything. So <laughs> they had they had, they had Wanda chilling for a while before they did what they did too. I mean, true, true. And then she's just hanging weird. out with Stephen Strange. So, yeah, right. Weird. Now, Nathan, one of the things that I know you really fucking came for. I mean, like you are here for it. Is this sort of pseudo magic that they tried to create by creating an anachronistic uh, reencapsulation? Right. So we're told this is Marvel double action, but it's also like Nightwing one twenty eight or something. Right. And I, I think Tim Seeley is a really great writer. But one of the things that I think we can say about Tim Seeley is that he definitely feels his oldie tropes a lot. Mm. And this issue might have might have gilded the lily for me. This might have been a few too many drop in references throughout <laughs> the story about, you know, and I loved so many of them, but it was so many of them. Did you feel like perhaps this was an inundation of these ideas or were you here for all of the meta refs? I, I, I'm usually here for all of them, right? Because like, that was like my favorite part of the Amalgam series, right? The little like letter pages they would have in like the little editor's notes, like see issue 101 of whatever, or like in the, uh, the Mutant Force one where they're like, you know, go see this series that you're like, I want to fucking see that series. Right. It, it was a little hard with this one because the issue itself is a meta reference on the one where Gwen Stacy died. So it, it just was like meta within meta within meta. And I was like, wait, I think it's a little far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, you know, my suspension bridge of disbelief was just handling too much weight. And we had to get the civilians yeah. off the bridge and have them abandon their cars. Now, like, and it was so, like, you know, something snapped. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I did like reframing. Like, I didn't like that it was the Falcon. And I would have loved that it was, like you guys said, a non-non-diverse character. Just make some white psychic do it. Um, But I did love the fact that it was an actual, he was an actual hero. Whereas Gwen Stacy was a actual like civilian who was like forced into it so it changed that sort of aspect of it and made the guilt more on Nighthawk because he brought Falcon into it in that way. And it made me like Young uh, Squadron a little bit yes. more. It made Nighthawk being like no, 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 a little bit less <laughs> annoying because now I get that you know like little Miles, little Miles Falcon, cutie pie, yeah. you're pushing some buttons and like I feel like Batman would just give you a good old bat fist to the bat face if like you showed up wearing dead Robin's costume and we're like hi you don't think <laughs> that if another abandoned toddler who gymnastics <laughs> appeared on bruce's mansion step he would not immediately adopt him and be like but you can't wear this costume let's get you a good one he would have albert sew him an actual costume you're telling me that wouldn't happen first of all i want to know who albert is he's my favorite <laughs> i was like i was like <laughs> this is albert oh alfred 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 right? <laughs> but number two it doesn't matter it doesn't matter. They're DC. Right? They're going to fold it to you. But, He's dead um, anyway. They are. <laughs> Alfred's dead anyway, so. I just want to comment on this gymnastic toddler business. All the toddlers he adopts can do gymnastics. Well, okay, so did, <laughs> did he actually, like, you're giving him way too much credit. He didn't actually adopt him. I think he adopted um, Dick and no, Jason. but he like Jason. He didn't adopt Jason. Dick. Didn't adopt Dick. That's the only one. The rest of them are just in his house sometimes. Squatters? Are you saying <laughs> so, the rest of them are? Because, like, I've had boys that won't leave, but I definitely have them for different reasons. He won't, he, he won't well, let them leave. Do you? He's like, no, no, you're my sidekick now. You put on this costume and you go beat up mentally ill people. Get in this latex oh. and dance for me, baby. Oh, you know? oh my God. So like he's giving them, like he's like, you will work for food then. Like, oh. Yeah, he doesn't pay them. <laughs> so. he, he pays them in food and board. And, yeah. you know, you get to go to school and you get to study, but then you also have to make sure you're up on your gymnastics because you had to be 
flexible to fit into spaces that Bruce can't. <laughs> but let me just say, speaking of spaces that uh, I cannot fit into, I did not love Savage Siege Squadron. Okay. I was like, where's Savage this going? Stabby. Squadron. Like, it was just not my favorite. And I think I can say what it was that didn't work for me. I like iterations of Punisher. I like specific takes on Electra because I'm like, I'm like an Electra mm. purist. So I feel like a lot of people don't get Electra right for me. They get like a version of her, but I, I like a very specific um, big idea Electra. I feel like if you try to pigeonhole her into something, she immediately loses her magic, right? Mm. And part of the magic of Electra is the silhouette. It's it's the mm. echo. It's the what you don't see. And this was a very literal, flat interpretation of Electra. This was Punisher with hyperviolence, where a unique take on Punisher would have been more interesting. And I just felt like this was too predictable. This was too expected. And when I, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but when I shelled out something like $125 for this crossover across eight weeks, I'm looking for my issues to count. Yeah. And I just felt perhaps that this was not it. Yeah. I would, uh, I would agree with this squadron savage. I like the, I like the beginning. Um, and then the middle was like, okay, I don't, like, I kind of know where this is going, but then I kind of don't. And then the, the end, I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> I, was, I did not like the ending. I thought it was um, like just to call a spade a spade. Not like this is just a critique, um, but like I thought it was kind of cheap, um, yeah. you know. And that's it. I did like the art in it. I thought the art was kind of cool. It gave me very '90s, and I appreciate that because that's what this book is supposed to give. And it was so different. Like it was really uh, like a confrontation, mm-hmm. and it made you think yeah. like what a Thunderbolts book might look like, or yeah. what a Savage Avengers book might look like, because you know they're gonna go a little heavier on it. Yeah, and like this had that kind of like edgy weird vibe so i do love the art i'm really glad you said something because the, the art, art is was beautiful spectacular yeah. i did like the I, hornet girl too i like i want yeah. her to come in janet janet is murder hornet janet is murder hornet i like that now that character needs to come into the main universe somehow i don't know <laughs> how but yeah okay so and i was reading it too fast in the magic carpet guy the the fabric manipulator like i was reading it too fast and i was like wait they're beating up quentin choir and i was like oh. <laughs> i was like oh no it's somebody else but like I was like, cool, but no. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I like is that they did try to incorporate the X-Men into this event without making the X-Men front and center. As much as we are all X-Nerds, I do frequently feel like the X-Men perhaps smother out the light of other characters yeah. a little readily with their recognizability, if nothing else. Now, Jonah, you're usually pretty okay with um, sloppy bitches. And I feel like all of the characters in this book were real sloppy. How did you feel about these characters Characters. Did you have anything to care about or were you just in for the good time? I can really, one of the things I really appreciate are the character designs themselves. I actually really mm-hmm. like these, this world's versions of Janet, of um, yeah. Electra, of the cross. I actually thought Crossbones had a pretty cool design. Frank was for okay. Sure. Frank doesn't usually get anything too cool, which is fine. Frank doesn't need that. Outside of Cosmic um, Ghost Rider. Cosmic yeah. Ghost Rider is the coolest looking oh, mother my God, yes. on the planet. True. Any planet. As opposed to the Ghost Runner. (laughs) Oh my god, Ghost Runner, the pen and stairs. I'm just... Of our villain, I really liked 
minx design like this very very sultry very sexy like lady um saber tooth was actually like i really dig it and i kind of actually would love to see her in actual things foxfire like a lot of like the haywire them i really thought moonglow was dazzler uh <laughs> it's dazzler not not even to like really they made her really look like dazzler between the colors the haircut and like i know that tandy and dazzler can have similar powers it's like light ah! i don't think tandy could sing but it was Probably a very not. specific choice to they couldn't keep a tv series running for three seasons oh. <laughs> well i guess that's what happens when you there's <laughs> 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 no coming back from that no but i have to continue <laughs> uh so it was a lot of the character designs themselves that i was really appreciative for the story and everything that going on it felt just a little too far removed from everything what i don't mind world building especially in this very in this au that i actually find fascinating in how the turner events does shape everything but there wasn't really anything for me to care about here and it wasn't anything, anything for me to root for because i don't know where this is supposed to fit into everything there's a very big reveal at the end that wilson fisk is part of this big organization and that everybody's basically under mind control but where does that fit into the narrative where are the stakes i can't root for someone and i can't be sad if these characters die or something bad happens because am i supposed to everything feels like they just reset anyway this story while having interesting enough characters that i think probably could have been standalones on them by themselves i don't know if it works i like this idea better with siege society that seemed like a better idea of the thunderbolts and there was a lot more to actually care about because it did involve the actual squadron Mm -hmm. nothing really it just was just a little too far removed for me to fully enjoy because i don't i I don't know what i'm supposed to get out of this now nathan i feel like you you're kind of a wild card i never know what you're gonna like or dislike it turns out you like half the stuff that i would assume that you wouldn't like how did you feel about this issue did this resonate for you or was it kind of clunky it should have resonated because give me jan i'm like all over it and it it just it just it didn't gel it didn't gel right there were like pieces i loved like anytime you give me like different iterations of cloak and dagger i'm like fuck yeah or like jan or like even electra like fucking like mutant x electra is like my favorite thing ever so like just (laughs) sorry (laughs) no i love mutant x so much i i I, you know rod it's one of those books that if you haven't read it it's it like i feel like it's it's such a beautifully stupid au yes it's 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 beautifully stupid it like it's like of course you went for that moment of course you went with that and it's all the darkest silliest things you could go with and it works it works because it leans into it it works because it wants you to be okay with it it just works because it's not busy trying to build up the artifice of it's such a smart book no it's action it's fun and it's silly and you're here for it it's such a good time and that's on the best part of this event this heroes reborn event i feel that sort of echoing through this just it was trying to be a little bit more than it should have i think if you added bloodstorm i would have loved it oh my god fuck yeah Uh, she's in i just just learned something actually very quick fun fact because we brought up siege society and that brought about the character that i would love to actually see in actual comics arcana arcana's alias is moonglow oh (laughs) which tandy just appropriated (laughs) and just stole leave it arcana is one of my favorites so i love to find a tall blonde woman in whites and blues who has like some sort of like magic or psychic powers whether it's emma saturnine snowbird Mm. arcana (laughs) there seems to be i seem to have a running habit of liking 
seeing tall blonde women in blues and whites that can do magic. So like Arcana is spectacular. Moonglow made me wonder, was this supposed to have a little bit of like an outsider's type of vibe? Because like Moonglow is totally haloed and like uh, like in the way she's presented as Moonglow. So. I definitely get that from it. I completely get that from it. I really love that you guys liked Arcana. She's my favorite member of the squadron and that she wasn't in this kills me. And again, I don't love the writers or the artists necessarily for their work on this, but a lot of the people that worked on Ultimate Power are really reputable, talented people. And if you want a really interesting squadron story that maybe features some of the squaddies that didn't get featured here, like Arcana, definitely check that out. She would go on to remain a part of the Ultimate Universe for quite a while. So that's pretty exciting, right? Uh, But speaking of exciting, I could like sweep the desk because I thought Heroes Reborn 7 was the smartest fucking thing I've it was like I love Aaron's long plans I love when Jason Aaron gives himself five years to tell a story he does it so well and he plants seeds and you know we're still seeing seeds of his earliest parts of his Thor run appearing in the pages of Valkyrie we're still seeing it he just understands a big plan and you know we start the book with Hyperion and we don't love him. It's kind of hard to follow the book through him. You know, that first issue was just sort of everybody and, you know, we we see Blur and we see Dr. Spectrum and we see Nighthawk and we get this incredible Zarda issue that challenges everything we think, right? But then here comes an issue of the team together and we can actually understand why they're so fucking formidable because one of the biggest mistakes that Marvel teams make is they're so powerful individually that when you put them together, it's just like it's just like a cock party. It's just dicks <laughs> slapping against each other. Just dicks on everybody. And you can't get anything done. But the squadron come together and they don't like each other. But they're so good at what they do. You truly believe if the Avengers don't do this and they don't have all the cosmic firepower they have. If I didn't know the Star Brand was here. If I didn't know the Phoenix Force was here. I could literally see this team beating the Avengers and I thought that was like the coolest surprise for the last issue of this series. I was just so fucking thrown by it. I loved it so much. Did you guys love Seven as much as I did? Because I'll be honest, <laughs> Heroes Return, a lot of fun, but not as impactful as Seven by any. Uh, no, Seven was amazing. Like, and I loved, like, the little, like, intersecting, like, I, I do really read uh, Weapon Alpha before, and then I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I, like, when I read it, I was like, ha-ha. I mean, I gotta agree. I didn't really like Seven. I gave a, a great, like, tie-in to, like, well, most of the stories. Um, it, it was really well produced, and I, I think it was a good um, first part of tying into Heroes Return as well. Like, it really gave you what to look forward to in Heroes Return, which I appreciate that a lot. Like, Jason Aaron does this really well. I feel like this, people might have even read more of this, because I don't, not to, not this story, I don't feel like a lot of people read this, unfortunately. Um, but I feel like more people would have, especially the main part, if it was mainly probably just these seven or technically eight issues. Um, because if you read it from one to all the way to Return, just the Jason Aaron written ones it's really well thought out and really well written and it flows consistently so I appreciated it for what it brought it was like great like just great bam 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 fun it's like Savage Avengers to like the extra extreme like when you're like yeah yeah. because like fucking in in the issue Hyperion killed like flew through Galactus and killed him so like come on like you know you're in for some serious Jonah you kind of don't and I I mean this with love but like you haven't been reading Aaron's Avengers so you 
maybe don't realize how powerful they've been set up over the course of the last three years. But, you know, in the sixth issue, Robbie Reyes takes control of a hollowed out celestial and drives it like a ghostwriter car. Like this, and he's the least powerful member of the team somehow. And this team is so God level OP. I mean, every one of them belongs in Dragon Ball at this point. It's just absurd. <laughs> and this team actually represents a threat to them. Did you see this as a big step up for the squadron? Or were you, you know, did the significance not ring true for you because you haven't been reading Avengers? It's a little bit of both. It's because I don't know in these are the squadrons already new characters to me. So even though we do see Hyperion punching straight through uh, Galactus, there's a lot of setup even throughout the side issues to establish more of the world in canon of how grossly overpowered the squadron already is. Like, beyond more so than they really even need to be, it's everybody else seems kind of pathetic comparatively to them, which I think is the point. It, you know, they're supposed to be pathetic compared to them. That was what we, we learned Mephisto was trying to go for. So it's a little bit of... It's, I am on both sides of that because I don't know the power levels comparatively of Jason Aaron's Avengers and, like, how extremely strong they really are i mean i got a little glimpse of it in heroes return but here it didn't i could i think i could have been more excited had i already read it but that's why i said more excited because i was super excited to see what was going to happen this is like one of the issues that like i like actively felt on like the edge of my seat i'm like well no i have to read what's next it's one it's one of those things that really does hook you if you are invested already or even if you're not i think this is a great place to hook people even though it's the penultimate issue you're like no i have to see what happens you have to know if they succeed or not especially when you get the Mephisto reveal you're like what do you mean even though we kind of knew it was coming because praise Mephisto uh it's kind of kind of like a little bit of um uh chilling adventures of Sabrina where they go like uh praise Satan and then Satan's you know involved right and then Satan's involved (laughs) and they go praise Lilith and then Lilith they're like Lilith can't actually get them powers then you're like praise Hecate (laughs) so you know I love that you pointed out that this was the penultimate issue because it was but it wasn't it was also kind of the anti-penultimate issue because I understand why Wolverine and Final Flight went here I wish the uh, one of the other best issues hadn't been Siege Society and hadn't come out a month earlier and hadn't been kind of the same story but maybe just earlier not better because I don't know I guess I didn't realize I missed Ed Brisson like I (laughs) love his voice he's a fantastic writer his voice is so strong and I loved this issue I loved the art on this issue Roland Boshi was really fucking knocking it out at a 13 here and it just felt a little too late to care like it comes between the final issue and the come home issue and we've already seen Gene die we've already seen uh, the Siege Society fail we already know that the young champions are the only people smart enough to wipe their own asses. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like it was a great issue that should have come week three. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it was a great issue. Probably one of my top three of the tie-ins, for sure. Oh, God. Yeah. How did you guys feel about Wolverine and Final Flight? I mean, I know it's a knucklehead appearance, but was it what you were looking for? I probably one of the few people who has read most of Alpha Flight throughout, like, the whole thing. Brisson really, really, really got these characters in a way, like, these, these characters all make sense to 
what we know of in their Marvel Universe counterparts based on what they would have gone through. So like like Sasquatch doing what Sasquatch did is totally in character. Aurora reacting the way she did to her brother's death. Like, it, uh, you know, Mac and Heather's kid. Like just everything is just so perfectly done. And I'm like, oh, I love it. But yeah, it could have come, could have come earlier. It, but I see why it didn't because the fact that Wolverine, Weapon X was able to kill Hyperion is huge, right? So even though it was with Shaman and like in whatever you want to say, like even though his claws were enchanted, like it was he, like kind of like a fastball yeah. skewer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But like it was amazing. I, I mean, I really enjoyed this. I do agree that it would have a bigger impact if it was earlier because at this point I didn't really care. But it, but it made me care. Like Ed Brisson's writing made me care. It made me really feel for these characters. I haven't read much of Alpha Flight. So, I mean, obviously I knew Aurora um, and I know Wolverine. <laughs> I know Sasquatch. Like I know all the characters, but I didn't know. And I feel like you'd be a huge Snowbird fan. I just oh, feel like. Yeah. Yeah, you would I love like Snowbird. Like, <laughs> Snowbird's the best. I mean, she's just amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm a talisman guy. <gasps> I've read, I read some of Alpha Flight and I do like Talisman and Snowbird. Like they're two of my top out of the whole Alpha Flight people. I know Puck yeah, really is in Alpa Flight too, right? Puck's yeah. so hot. Yeah, I like please Puck. talk to them about dra- not drawing <laughs> Puck so hot. Like Puck's too hot. He's I agree. Hot. I agree. I'm always begging Kyle to cosplay Puck. I'm always and like, Diamond Lil. Oh, Diamond Lil. Oh, oh, oh we can Lillian just do Crawford. Alpha Flight. Oh, and then we stop when Burn leaves. So, uh, well, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Burn. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we yeah, stop yeah, when Burn leaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I did really like this. I mean, this issue really brought the heart that I feel like a lot of the one shot should have had um, because then it would have made me care or maybe feel like the stories mattered. Because this story, I mean, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it still didn't have like an ending that truly mattered to the whole plot. Like, you know what happens to Logan. He's a big, you know, factor in the Marvel Universe. But in the one through like return series, what does this story really matter? But you care because it brings it makes you care because of the emotional aspect bullshit that he does and I love it <laughs> yeah. Jonah how did you feel about Final Flight I know you've read like some 30 issues of Alpha Flight you've had like 50 or 60 of their appearances but outside of appearances from characters like North Star and Aurora and the occasional guest spot by Guardian in the pages of the Hawksbox era at the gala making a line that I thought was completely unacceptable if you're telling me that oh. Mac and Heather's marriage is over I am absolutely not okay with this well but it's been on this but anyway <laughs> but it wouldn't be over for Max part it would be over from Heather's side because Heather like hates them now so but they need to work it out I love them yeah. they're fictional so they can work it out um, <laughs> Jonah how did you feel about this appearance of Alpha Flight I think I most of my sentiment is just agreeing what was already said and that this issue I think would have served better coming a little bit earlier and I think that just for not even for this issue itself to do better just from a storytelling standpoint I don't think if you're going to have these side stories of establishing the canon and world building and all these beautiful things that we do enjoy i don't think putting one between hero seven and heroes reborn makes sense uh i think that breaks it up just a little too much and hero number seven into heroes reborn is much more exciting without having to read anything in between because ultimately and i say this in the most positive and loving way possible this issue doesn't matter there's really nothing important that comes out of this issue other than logan's just stuck on the moon and in a perpetual state of dying and not dying which 
which is funny because I think I don't remember where I was reading it. But I, there was I feel like there was a recent line where Logan was contemplating like drowning and like how if he's like submerged in the water and drowning, like he's in a perpetual state of death. I might that have made sounds, that up. That no, that sounds like some Ben Percy stuff. Yeah, yeah. it really does. Like that he would just constantly keep healing, but like the water's in his lungs, so he'll just be drowning constantly, <laughs> and it's over and over again. Uh, one of the ways to kill Wolverine. But a lot of the themes tackled here were very fascinating, and I almost feel bad that it was put here because it's a really interesting story and uh, a perspective and a take that we haven't gotten from any of these side canon stories we've gotten yet. And there's a lot to deal with. And there's a lot less more about the action and a lot more about the repercussions of the squadron expanding into Canada when they really just want to be left alone and they don't want to have to fight them. They don't want it to be a revolution. They literally just want to be left alone. And it's a really, it was just a really beautiful take on the that side of the oppressed and the ones being sieged into by a... I'd say I'll say colonizers <laughs> and yeah, yeah true. It, it was just like there was just so many there's so many beautiful things between the betrayal from Walter who design I really loved this new interpretation of Sasquatch yeah, if he's gotten a lot more demonic even though he has yeah. Aurora with him I actually find that really fascinating I wonder almost thematically maybe it would have made even better sense if that's the form he would have taken if Aurora was the one to die and Northstar was the one who had to pick up the like twin um like he was twin. like so twin <laughs> uh, like he was so mad that like that's just the twisted form that Sasquatch taken Jonah thinking really it was just a really interesting story that like a testament to the really interesting art and this really pretty heavy story and dealing with these very mature themes that it just does this issue a disservice putting it where they did now that does leave us with just one issue to look at and Heroes Return like I liked it but I feel like it was sort of a foregone conclusion and I didn't get more from it than the foregone conclusion. The beginning of this series began with a promise, a promise that we would return to the Marvel Universe in a consistent sort of recognizable way. I didn't believe that all of the titles were going to reverberate with shades of new universe. I instead believed that other titles would continue to explore similar themes and kind of be unchanged by this with maybe one or two characters holding onto their memories. What I did get, however, was the Phoenix and the Starbrand crushing the shit out of Zarda. That might have been the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I loved it. But (laughs) other than that, this was a lot of foregone conclusions. How did you guys feel about what felt like it should have been another 10 pages at the end of Seven? I, so I feel differently. (laughs) I don't, I feel like it, it, I didn't want 10 more pages because I felt like we were, we were done. And I feel like it was, it was good. We were done. Um, <laughs> my, this is my favorite issue. You know why? Because two things that I wanted to happen that I said I wanted to happen before this series had nothing to do with the series, but it <laughs> made it happen. I want Starbrand Baby to grow up more, and I'm Yay. so glad she did. She's my favorite. I love her. She's like, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna make you cry. I told you to cry. I, just, I loved that because mm. she's a baby. I know. And then she's like, next one of you calls me a baby gets fucking branded. And I'm just like, ah. Also, the Council of Mephistos. I yeah. just, I wanted it. I wanted Mephisto to come back because he wasn't gone, gone. Even though Moon Knight killed him, whatever. Um, but we it. get the Council of different kind of Mephistos. And I am so happy with more councils. I That's one of Marvel's like great things that I love they've done is make councils of people 
councils of reeds councils of kang now we got councils of mephistos i i love it i want it more and, and it was nice to see that clarification because they did in um like universe x they tried to like make it i know that non-canon now but like they tried to make it where there was one mephisto and he was responsible for everything but like i like how they like hey there's a whole bunch of mephistos and they are like canonically different and there's a whole council of them and one's like a cat dog so like and there's <laughs> 616 of them yes that what was a, amazing what a clever play not 666 because he's the devil not a million not 10,000 616 it's a cute little yes, tribute yes. to the things we love and I just it was such a and a beatable under. number yeah Six, 616 feels like a beatable number of Mephistos for him to eventually fail <laughs> beatable number I mean he's gonna always each fail other. they will yeah. they're always gonna yeah. fail they're to all too selfish <laughs> and I love the I love the the visual differences between all the Mephistos too. Oh, like yeah. like like I love like this chonky like it looks like Gaston chonky Gaston Mephisto like <laughs> yeah. Now what for you guys was the highlight fight was? I know for me it was that double power signature moment because I just didn't see it coming. I thought Zarda was going to kill all of them and the universe was going to go back and Zarda would be the only one standing. The idea that they took out Zarda and that's the only reason she didn't appear in those final pages was mind-blowing to me she had a panel yeah there was a panel where she's She's breaking out of her prison but Mm. that she wasn't active that she wasn't Mm. you know flying around like hyperion you know we didn't get this moment from her she was smashed to pieces did you guys find any of the other fight sequences significant in that regard yeah i mean i like how she destroyed i mean starbrand destroyed power prism that was my favorite thing i i power prism was my my least favorite hate him hate yeah. him yeah and i was so in glad this world for sure yeah in this world was, oh the piece of poop <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the baby took out the trash i loved it i that was yeah. my favorite, favorite thing ever i just i hope i want a, a five issue mini series of her i know that was not the question that's what i want. <laughs> <laughs> that's the answer that's the answer that's the answer no. it's <laughs> like, the correct answer to whatever right. question <laughs> um what there were other battles besides that amazing phoenix and starbrand one i don't remember <laughs> like but no like that's like the most epic battle i've ever fucking seen and like i'm just living for it and i love that phoenix got its own revenge over zarda for having her be destroyed when she was in jean gray's form which i don't know if phoenix remembers because she's not from i don't know that's all complicated but, but you know all phoenixes know each other in the white hot room yeah there you go so, you know council of phoenixes yeah uh, that is the council of phoenixes <laughs> i mean they're actually the phoenix core so you know it's it's meant to yeah. be now jonah this was a lot of punchy punch and i remember you and i having that next day conversation where we were both very like all right return didn't do a lot it it gave me my foregone conclusion and i loved it i loved the conclusion i did not think it was a bad issue ed mcginnis outdrew himself yeah. jason aaron had plotting as tight as he's ever had it character moments as fun as they've ever been but it did feel a little like a foregone conclusion to the two of us with a little bit more time and space do you feel differently on the title or are you still pretty you know it wasn't my favorite issue but i liked it action wise it was my favorite issue because uh, as i hinted alluded to earlier my favorite moment of the action is t'challa slicing the tendon uh the tendons of blur's legs and literally saying to him <laughs> with some surgery and months of rehabilitation you might be able to walk again might and like just to tell that to his speedster like that's probably like the biggest source of anxiety that he possibly has <laughs> 
so like that like all of the action was like really fulfilling it was really amazing to see and you you really wanted to see the squadron supreme lose and you want to see their heads get bashed in especially by a double insignia by cosmic beings it was really something special but i like the way that the council of mephisto was set up but i don't know if i like the resolution of this world because it feels just a little hand wavy of and the world is fixed and everybody remembers everything and everybody's supposed to be who they're supposed to be but it also brings the question well the people who died are they still dead mm. like it, there's a couple of things that i needed a lot more um resolution to and there might be open-ended because there might be setting up for more issues eventually down the line in this universe somewhere like one of the things that i need maybe resolved a little bit more is specifically what happened with the mutants it was the last thing we saw was cassandra nova disintegrating both zarda and hyperion but then nothing else came out of that and i don't know where exactly that's supposed to fit in with everything because that's an extremely powerful being that you just unleashed upon the world that's trying to make right by mutants haha but like where does that fit into everything does wilson fisk remember everything is he currently still kingpin or is he still the shadow figure in the government does he remember everything because everybody else seems to kind of remember a lot of stuff it's a like i i guess like i also wanted to know what exactly happened to peter parker in before everything but he got turned back into spider-man so like does he remember being infected by something else and becoming man spider there's a lot that was left a little too open-ended for me that it felt like we got the action but we didn't really think about the meat and potatoes of the plot itself i think they had an end in mind and we were told the end of that the world is going to come back to its natural state of what it's supposed to be but there was a lot that they introduced that was interesting ideas but never really felt like there was enough follow-through and there was never enough result there wasn't enough resolution for me which is fine that not everything fully has to be resolved that does not everything has to be a tightly neatly wrapped bow but i prefer at least give a hint that like this might be coming again or talk about a little more there was just a lot yeah well then let me ask you guys what do you guys feel do you guys think that there was more to be explored and to come back to or are you guys happy with what we got i (laughs) i am fucking terrified of hyperion actually like living with those memories in 616 reality because my first real exposure to him was during that exiles arc where like hyperion was like evil hyperion and king hyperion thing... yes and the only thing that could take down hyperion is another hyperion <laughs> poor namora though she was fine she was hot as hell so but yeah anyway and then she was burned alive so mm-hmm. yeah really hot as hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would say um first not, not only the people that remember the squadron supreme and colson well and mephisto but those are the only people yeah. everybody else doesn't remember i think maybe the star brand maybe i would Probably imagine the star brand and the phoenix have to yeah. remember yeah yeah you know, cosmic power yeah but like other than that it's the only people and i we do know this is gonna have effects because i forget in oh this is bad of me i think it's in in end of one of the books but nighthawk um it's this one yeah no no no. oh i know what it is so in the infinity infinite destinies nighthawk it kidnaps um i don't know if anyone's reading that but he kidnaps uh the the nick fury jr the black nick fury yes 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 <laughs> and he is like using him to try to get this world back. So it is having consequences, at least with Nighthawk. Nighthawk's the only one that wants the world back. Like Nighthawk's, the, well, the only one that's fighting for the world. They get back the way the Squash Supreme wanted. Because everyone, all the other ones feel defeated. And I don't think the the Wonder Woman one cares. <laughs> yeah, I think Zarda, Zarda. just caught her when she's ready. I don't, yeah, I don't think Zarda cares about going back. She's like, I'm still me. I don't give a shit. But everyone else feels just feels defeated. And he's the only one like, I we need to go back. 
this world sucks to them. <laughs> yeah. I don't I might have been just me, but it felt like Nighthawk was the only Squadron Supreme member who might have been hinted at thinking that the world wasn't right and wanting to change it. I felt like there were just a couple of hints of him recognizing something isn't exactly right and he wasn't happy about it. But to then for him to be the one to say the world isn't right, even though he was had a problem with the world that was before and wants to go back, it just felt a little weird characterization wise. That might have just been my personal read, but I just wanted they to know. Do, they do seem a little inverted after reality flip back, too. Yeah. Hyperion's like, not like, 80s rock. Like, he no yeah. longer seems like he's in Nelson. No. Yeah. They got or teaching, or teaching elementary schoolers. Yeah. They got the original personalities back, I think. So. Now, we're sitting here at the tail end of an 18 issue universe, right? And it sort of goes between issues of Avengers and Avengers is carrying on business as usual before with World War She-Hulk. And then I do believe uh, one of the major storylines there is the Phoenix unlocked something in Jen and that's not going away anytime soon. And so it does seem a little bit more like the pages of Avengers are preoccupied with the events of Enter the Phoenix than the events of Heroes Reborn. Mm -hmm. So for all intents and purposes, until Jason Aaron is ready to return to this tale with Mephisto, we might be on pause with looking back 18 issues, you know, all 700, 800 chonky pages of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of feel like I would give the core series of this miniseries a B plus A minus easily. I mean, easily. I loved this eight issue core series. I think your mileage may vary on the one shots. I think on the whole, I have to give the one shots kind of like a B minus C plus, but that's more because there were a couple of A's and a couple of D's than I thought they were all middle of the road straight through. How do you guys feel? I mean, and I think my A minus C plus is kind of, kind of realistic. Stick, but you know that's because I think it. So you know, <laughs> how do you guys feel? All said and done, eighteen issues down. I, I think if you're going to, if you haven't read it yet, picked up the the main series, and if you're wanting to get into the one shot, get into the characters that you like and you want to see them inverted because the one shots are great at world building, but they don't really do much, and the quality does vary. And you know what, you might like one of the ones that we did as a D, but like because you love those characters more and you love the take on it, but they're not overall important to the storyline. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I I feel like it was all, you know, worthwhile reading in retrospect because it was all fun, no matter the writing or art quality. Um, sure. that's, that's with like most books, I feel like. But I feel like this book suffered a great deal because of the tie-ins. Like this is, and I love tie-ins and events. So I'm not like downing tie-ins at all. Like I feel events need tie-ins, but this event did not. <laughs> um, I, I have talked to so many people that are comic book readers and I read basically everything Marvel and they did not read this event event because they didn't know what to read like they were so confused because so much came out weekly and it came out so fast it was every week and so, everything was labeled number one yeah and everything was labeled number one and we know that that scares off people when it's so much like that and it wasn't really explained even on the main marvel social media so i feel like it should have just been the main series that came out for this since it was so quick anyway it was like a month maybe two months long so i just the main series should have came out and that's it and and I, and I hate to say that because so many good artists and writers worked on those side stories and they did a great job, but it hurt the main story and it hurt this event. I would probably like them more digital than physical. Digital, and if they were yeah. digital exclusives, the price could have mm, come down a lot. They yeah. would have been uh, probably a lower page count because they were all like 36 mm, and yeah. they all could have stood to be 16. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Jonah, what do you feel? Do you feel, you know, your first, this was your first AU mini that I dragged you into. So how did you feel? 
Did you do you feel the A minus C plus of it? Do you feel the definitely read the main series, skip the tie-ins, or are you also in Nathan's camp where you're like, you know, pick your tie-ins? <laughs> oh, I'm muted. I am no longer muted, which also <laughs> I can now segue because for some reason it's a good segue. Nothing also happened with the Young Squadron Supreme. Yeah, like they they figured out like, hey, they're not right, and then didn't go anywhere. Anyway, not the point of what I'm trying to say. I I agree. Main series, very beautiful A minus. Like really great. If that's what you just want to stick to, it's a really great story. It does really it does a really great job of establishing these characters and why you shouldn't root for them, or in the case of Zarda, why you should love her even more. And then it does a really great payoff in the action for me, especially in Heroes Return. The side stories, I'm a, I would be a little bit nicer. I'd probably average everything about to a B because there were a lot more that I liked more than other ones. So I think averaging out everything, it comes out to a B. But I would probably agree with Nathan in the sense of if you see a character you like and you want to see what they would be like in this universe, I would just pick those issues. I don't really think you need to read all of them. Don't the read only American one... Nights if you like Daredevil. No. <laughs> oh, dear, yeah. that's, that's the only one I would recommend staying away from. I No offense to the creative team for that. It just wasn't the best issue, and I don't know if they handled those characters in the best way. It was a guy famous for his knowledge and ability to write into the British standard, so it was really yeah. weird that his two books at Marvel this year were The Union <laughs> and American Nights. Although The Union... He is British, that, uh, it, 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 it's, mm-hmm. it's more in that zeitgeist that he's used to. American Nice was very... Yeah, he was better. <laughs> But still. So, but, uh, oh, oh, my only other point is, if you don't see a character that you like, they're probably dead. Ah. <laughs> they were probably killed. Very so. true. Very true. And very dead. So, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody non-binary in between, I want to thank you guys for coming out and checking out the 18 issues of Heroes Reborn with us. This was an exciting event. This was an amazing miniseries, and I had so much fun covering it with you three. This was such a blast. All said and done, one last question favorite member of the squadron for me from this mini it was zarda i that's my that's my closing thought that rainbow axe was everything right i can't imagine there's gonna be too many different answers but oh, <laughs> and, uh, special note to blur because that issue was both the best issue of flash and the best story about adhd so favorite member of the squadron from the mini go zarda because she was so unapologetic about what she wanted and being a badass hashtag boss bitch who i wanted yes. it to be nighthawk but who it really fucking was is Zarda because fuck yeah and the I give you I give you the blur though too he was pretty yeah that issue was great amazing I don't care about any of the Squadron Supreme except for Zarda they could all really just not <laughs> exist anymore and I would not care we have those characters in DC I do not care but Zarda <laughs> was fun and Wonder Woman needs to be on Marvel anyway so there you go although if Hyperion had been like Hyperion and the Imperial Guard like throughout the whole thing I would have loved uh, that's true okay I'll give you that one. <laughs> I want to see Zarda crush all of them like in her like bicep, just like crush everybody's thigh, head. Right? With her thighs. With her thighs. One in the bicep, one in the thighs. You heard it here, guys. Zarda's into crushing and we're into watching it. I'm hitting stop at that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey everybody, welcome back to Access for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, marvels, magic, and mutants week after week throughout their many titles. I'm Nathan, and in this next segment, Evelyn, Blake, Arturo, and I cover Marvel Voices Pride. We have a lot of mixed feelings on the need for this and the quality and execution of this issue as a whole. There are a lot of stories that we all can unifiably agree that we love, and there's some stories that we wish that were done better in some ways. Uh, the one general feeling overall is we do love the step in the right direction that Marvel is taking with this, but we want to see the intensity that Marvel has brought throughout the whole Marvel Voices series as a whole, kept throughout their whole year and their whole line. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to Excess for Podcast. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at DeslerAway on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Arturo, that's Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Blake. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blake's Buzz. You can go to Blake'sBuzz.com for your indie review needs. And you can go to my YouTube page, which is also Blake's Buzz. And I'm not in your couch cushions. He is not loose change. And I'm Evelyn, the comic canary. You can find me on Instagram at Twitter at comic underscore canary. All right, so talking about stuff that is not loose change, we are covering <laughs> the, the amazing Marvel Voices Pride issue. Now, uh, like, I, I we're going to talk about where we are with, with all of these cute little stories that we've seen, but I, I just want to say, like, I love the fact that Marvel has been putting out these Marvel voices throughout this last year. Having a pride issue is so amazing. It's about time, especially given the way the comics industry has handled homosexuality and the LGBTQ plus community in the past. You know, we're finally getting to a point where they care about all these different voices of the readership. Let's start at the beginning, right? So we've got this very first story here, this prodigy story. Now, Arturo, I know you were saying something about how important it was that this North Star panel opens up the book overall yeah, period. Yeah, I, yeah, we were talking about this a little bit in the green room. This, I think this honestly props to to Luciano uh, Vecchio for this. The art was really cool and it was well-researched and, and well put together. That first panel being North Star, that for me really resonated because I remember that issue like personally as a kid when I was going to the comic shops as often as, you know, my mom would take me i was probably like 11 or 12 at that time and i was not reading alpha flight nobody gave a damn about alpha flight back then sorry i'm just letting y'all know that just was not a thing <laughs> i was literally reading all the other titles i could get my hands on x-force x-factor x-men but alpha flight was not a thing but i heard some people rumbling about it and I grabbed that issue 106 and picked up the second print of it. And it was kind of like my little secret. And at that point, Northstar, all of a sudden, a character I did not know existed now meant so much to me. And I had nothing to do with that feeling because I didn't really keep following Alpha Flight. Northstar wasn't a thing for many decades after that, like till he got back and, and actually played a role in the X-Men. But for the longest time, he still meant something to me. And that panel meant something to me. And it was problematic in terms of representation it wasn't great it was heavy-handed like you know there's there's uh that's probably not the way the story was going to go Fabian Nicieza has talked about how he would have handled it and you know etc but it happened for better or worse and it it was a step in a direction and the fact that like that's what I experienced when I was a kid and now reading this you know 30 
years later, this issue just blew my mind because it, yeah, there's so much room for improvement. And yes, Marvel hasn't done a good job, but we have come a long way. And I think Luciano told a really cool story that kind of exemplifies exactly that. Um, I, I just... I can't say enough about this first story and how how important I think it is. I also think that there is an element of painting history with rosier glasses and kind of oh God, yeah. giving Marvel more credit than is due. And, you know, and it raises a whole bunch of questions like, well, then where the fuck is this character or that character or this character? You know, it's a work in progress, but it's really cool seeing it together. And I can't help but wonder, like, how different or how much this would have meant to me if I was 12 years old and picked this up. Just to kind of echo on what you were saying, I know as a kid, even even before I knew, like, even before I knew, like, Northstar as a character, just the idea that he'd come out. And like like you said, I, I really hadn't gotten into Alpha Flight because really nobody was into Alpha Flight at that time. Nobody. It was like the, what kind of book was it? It wasn't really X book. It wasn't really like an Avengers book. But just the fact that that character was out, I know when you know as kids you like create your own little superhero teams like subconsciously my character would always have a, a really bad knockoff version of a north star's costume so <laughs> like i'm like oh yeah so like looking back on it i know that was hugely important to me just the fact that there was an out gay character growing up having that to see you know now there's a lot more diversity in characters so a lot more people are able to see each other there's not just one gay superhero there's there is a plethora of lgbtqia plus people to idolize and to see yourself in when you're reading these stories even north star's history is sort of like you were mentioning is is very fraught with a lot of potential missteps that happened i know well literally he comes out in an aid scare story like there it's, is yeah it's it's not great you know what i mean but and like yeah. but historically like that's that is how it happened at the time aids you know and aids activism and and yeah. silence on aids like so it wasn't great, but I'm glad it happened because it kind of like cements that time together. It's a little true to what the hell was going on, you know, and, and the fact that he then was editorially kind of closeted again, like nobody oh, yeah. and nobody ever, you know, said he was straight ever again. Like, yes, he was gay, but he was never allowed to like be gay on panel or ever even talk about it ever again. So you know yeah he had that whole miniseries afterwards right where it was only mentioned like a few times in the four issue miniseries just a little just a little odd history like even though yes there are some troubling there's some troubling aspects of north stars coming out in that the way north star was originally supposed to come out 40s issues of alpha flight north star got this mysterious illness so so the writer at the time the plan was to have north star die of aids and come out and being revealed as gay at that time so as problematic as his coming out was in 106 it could have been a lot more problematic could have been i will say had that happened as much as that would have sucked and burying your gaze like he would have probably stayed dead and it would have been really cool to see him resurrected on Krakoa. I mean, like, you know, that that's just have. like that, that could have been cool. And I think we can say that about a lot of mutants. Like, you know, if they had stayed dead when they died, it would have been so much cooler to have them resurrected. But, but anyways, I mean, I'm glad that eventually we got North star stories, you know, I guess we'll get into the other North star story of this or the actual North star story of it, which is like with him and Kyle. And I have never been, uh, 
huge fan of that coupling. Like, again, not to sound like a eugenicist, but like, I want mutants to be with mutants. <laughs> and like, a mutant and human relationship never really thrilled me. But I am fully on board with it. Thank you to like Leah and and David Baldion for their work in X Factor and like making me invested in this couple. Like I'm really glad that they're together and seeing them just having like this very normal couple, you know, interaction, waking up in the morning and getting dressed for work. It was very yep. sweet. I'll protect Kyle with my last breath now. <laughs> so we, me and Arthur have shared sort of a little bit of why Northstar was important to us. So Evelyn, you growing up and getting into comics, was there a character that was really important to you with their sexuality and some, some, someone that really resonated with you? So unfortunately, not really. Because like I didn't grow up with Alpha Flight and all that. Like I didn't start reading comics because I, I was born in 90. Which yeah. make the comic um, crash jokes as you will, but um, I didn't really start properly reading comics until because like my dad would read me comics from like old seventies stuff, but I didn't really start reading my own comics myself until probably um 99 2000 and a lot of what i read was more of like kind of the teen superheroes mm. which like there like no one allowed a teen superhero to have like much sexuality at all let alone any queerness and so when i was reading like x men and such i honestly didn't the what i was reading i did not see it and that was really disappointing almost um as i was discovering my own queerness and like for me like one of my favorite characters was always Kitty Pride, and like there was always a lot of subtext in Excalibur with mm-hmm. her and Rachel. So when she was confirmed earlier this year, like my heart exploded. And so I definitely don't recall seeing much in comics period growing up from what I was reading because it just wasn't there. And I did read some of the more popular comics and they didn't put it in the more popular comics because they didn't want backlash at the time. So now me being like, once I hit being a teenager and becoming an adult and it started becoming more acceptable, like seeing that was really good for me because I was growing up in my queerness as comics were almost growing up with their queerness. So that's kind of my backstory with all of this. So it was just, it just wasn't a thing for me to like be like into North star. Like I knew North star was like, like the first like queer character but again i just i never read alpha flight i didn't really have interest in reading it yeah. right no, that's <laughs> so fair it that's just, understandable hey, yeah. yeah so it was pretty much off my radar it's cool that you picked up on on all the queer subtext with kate and uh and rachel i think yeah. it's impossible to read rachel as anything other than a lesbian or or at least pansexual in some some way shape or form like i know we saw that relationship with frank with future franklin so but you know was that really just like uh they were the two only people of the same age kind of relationship in the camps so now blake as a ally of the community is there any hero that really has kind of resonated to you despite not being of the same sexuality i've always been a big dude and and i have self-esteem issues and i always loved the x-men from from when like you know we we could buy like the jim lee claremont issues in gas stations right oh yeah. and and i always had like this you know fascination with rogue but like simultaneously you know you, you she's got this like sexy cajun dirtbag boyfriend <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. and 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 like 
you know, I'm like, I don't have abs. I'll never get a rogue. It didn't like mess with me. I was kind of lucky. I wasn't like bullied as a kid or anything. It helped because I could get good drugs in high school and stuff. I was always around pretty people. You know, I I've, I always felt other just for being like like a big dude. And I would like 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 you guys mentioned like to have comics like these as as we were all younger and the eye opening aspects of that like reading this pride issue and not knowing what it's like to struggle with your identity like that and not knowing what it's like to struggle with like your sexuality but to like come to terms with like how you look and. And how it's okay to like you know question yourself and find mm-hmm. yourself and mm-hmm. just not be that sure and not not be like you know even though these people are all like trying to figure out relationships and trying to figure out how once you find someone like how you continue to be with that someone whether it's after marriage or when it's all new and exciting and so just to kind of have that that would have been cool to me as a kid to just be like oh like even beautiful people have issues like this it's not just me i was like fuck i don't know anything you know like i was like i'm, I'm this no I'm this, but hey I'm that's this great valid. white guy you know but like, that's completely valid, that's valid too that's super that's important too because yeah. it is by and for queer voices or whatever but it's important i think for other people to to read it too you know what i mean like and that's the same for literally all of the voices series so far even if it's you know different marginalized communities or whatever that i don't identify with it's important i think for us as you know white or white passing people or straight or you know whatever whatever privileges you have on your scorecard like to also enjoy and read and and get into those stories and take stuff away from it you know because yeah. at the end of the day yeah. there's these are universal stories right there it, it's really just different perspectives but it's it's people feeling, you know, love and fear and disappointment and et cetera. Yeah, that, that, you couldn't have said it better, Arturo. It's like, yes, it's great for us to have this, but like, you're, you're like the target audience, like just to, and not you particularly, Blake, because I know you're a lot more open minded, but, but people who maybe wouldn't see right. the experience as, as being a human experience, as being, we're all the same. We all have these same hopes, dreams, fears. You know, we just have a little bit different circumstances to it. And it helps you and it helps you it helps you see he's helped you see the other side a little. So many ones to pick from. Okay, I guess I'll go with my favorite favorite. Has to be the what is it called? The Long Thaw by yes, Anthony Oliveira. Oh man, that was my favorite too. I mean, look, we're an X-Men podcast. Like, is anybody terribly shocked that I was really into the one with Magneto and uh, come and, on? <laughs> but just the care with which it was written and the way the art brought it to life, the way that Anthony Oliveira like literally touched on some like kind of classic Silver Age X-Men moments, like Warren having his his wings bound, like the fact that he like mined the history of, of X-Men for that and then told this quiet little also ridiculous campy little story like Magneto coming to monologue with missiles and then just like don't worry about it. Sometimes missiles is the way adults talk. Like I love that line, by yeah. the way. That was such a good line. Just brilliant. This was just such a... And like another f- favorite moment is when Angel came out of the pool looking absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and, and Bobby's there watching. And then he, like, wow. he accidentally freezes, freezes the whole the pool. pool. Yes. Like, that was so cute. So clever. So cute. So, so damn cool. Uh, I just... Yeah. This was... this. For me was like the standout big time 
I did love seeing Magneto just just taking that time, especially in that period of, of his life. He was really seen by the masses as the, the big bad supervillain, but it like shows that even then he had a understanding and a care about his people in his community and and his own experiences as being another, you know, that he, he was able to connect with Bobby in this way about this thing and, and good on him for not outing Bobby all these years. So. <laughs> yeah, I really dug how Magneto was presented here. Just I've always enjoyed the turn of like him kind of turning into a good guy. Like yeah. I thought it was I, I never felt like it was forced or weird. It, it just kind of made sense. I also enjoy now, like in in this in these new X Men comics, where like Magneto is much more personable than Charles is. Like Charles, oh, God, yeah. Charles is like scheming, and I don't trust him. Like as far as I could throw him, and I, you know, I'm I could throw him a little bit, but not very far. And like, so I I just really like this idea of like Magneto like coming to blow up the mansion, and then just seeing this seeing this boy crying and and stopping everything and and just listening like that's that's what everyone tells you to do right like when you're when your friends are having rough times and when when people are when people are struggling like shut up and listen and that's exactly what magneto does and i just it was really powerful and then the last panel when he, when bobby's like can i wear your helmet and that's the last scene awesome like that was oh. it was I, I i fucking cried a little bit reading this guy like i i there were a few stories in here that like really made me tear up and i just like i like i said previously like i connected to a lot of these short stories that i really wasn't expecting to just just because I, I didn't know that i would be able to technically i didn't think i'd be the audience that this was written to and in so many of these instances like i totally was like i could put myself in any of these situations and i was just like wow and he did he did a really good job of lining up the metaphor you know i mean it, obviously there's the read that x-men are, is like a queer you know story and it lines up like when he's talking about do you really think it would be that bad if we told if people knew like he's talking about them being mutants but obviously the subtext is this other mm-hmm. secret that he yep. you know that he's harboring and just he just did a really good job in what four or five pages of of telling a very complete story yeah. and and i just love that like you know yes this is an anthology theory, series but like as far as i'm yeah. concerned that's canon now like that happened <laughs> oh yeah it d- yeah. this definitely happened forever oh, yeah. forever in a day and it, i would love it to pop back up later on like have some kind of cool not not like a not a giant momentous scene or anything but like a nod to this like later on down the the x road where like magneto and bobby have a cool moment or maybe they have to do something together and it's it's referenced like i would i would i I love that that. hell yeah now evelyn what was your favorite story out of this whole series so for me i really like the prodigy and speed one Mm. and that's because like partly because like i'm pansexual which is under the bi umbrella and that's something that like it feels like media is so afraid to say bisexual or imply bisexuality like if it like with the Loki series now like having that canon and people like losing their shit over it. It's beautiful. But it's just something that in media is so taboo still. And seeing like Speed just joking about it's like, wait, I'm bi? Like, is <laughs> Well, I mean, and I love I love uh, Prodigy talking about like how he was trying to like figure it out and yes! like he was yes. trying to like apply kind of like a binary like I'm either gay or I'm straight and like yes! you know and he's like well the science is kind of shitty I understand that now but at the time it fucked me up like it just that was a very 
real. And I agree with you. Like yeah. buy is not something that gets explored well enough. And, yeah. and it often falls into a lot of, you know, unfortunate and maybe somewhat true, but certainly very unfortunate and like not great tropes. But this avoided all of that. This was like such an honest and real and substantive depiction of that experience. I'd love this. Right. And I feel very lucky that like when when I finally realized like my sexuality and my queerness and like who I'm attracted to, which is, yeah. And uh, my, my attraction is yes. And <laughs> the, um, and like just seeing... But I know so many people who have struggled with that, who have struggled with like, wait, am I straight? Am I gay? What is this? Because again, just bisexuality just is not talked about. And I mean, for me, like, I never heard of pansexuality until like, I was much older um, in my late teens. And I was like, that's what it is, you know? And so I, I know so many people who struggle. And that's something that a lot of people who are bi really struggle with. So seeing that in media where they discuss the actual hardships and things that people really do go through, I thought was absolutely incredible. I, I loved that. And again, I loved Speed being like, all of our like teachers are super hot in the X Men. <laughs> yes, and as well as like um in actually in Way of X when that we talked about earlier that maybe in a totally different recording. But there's this great line where it's just like the top X Men are here out in the gallery in all of their bondage gear. How can you not be turned on? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually like really accurate right now. <laughs> like, what the fuck. And so like just that whole scene I thought was just so important because it's not something people talk about often. Yeah, I, I, I loved I loved seeing David have to struggle with even his own internalized biphobia that was imposed by the media and not maybe maybe not the media, but you know, every everyone else being biphobic saying bi don't exist, you know, you know that there's no such thing. What he knows emotionally, what logic can't try to explain. Just, I absolutely love that. And Think Fast is amazing. I love Think Fast. Uh, now, Blake, did you have a favorite story out of these? I think my favorite, just because it felt it felt like important and pertinent, and as a mm -hmm. reminder, was the Gray Ladies. Yes, yes. I'm so glad um, you brought it up. Yes, it was. I thought that was really cool. That was also some of my favorite art in the issue. Like, mm -hmm. it, so it was just like it, it. It felt it was a little. You know, they got a. I feel like they got a page or two extra ish, maybe. But yeah, I I really loved that. Uh, that whole this mystique had a wife thing was very new to me. Like I didn't know about that really. Like I, like I said, like my ex, my ex experiences, I'm trying to build it up to be cool. Like you guys, but like, I just, I started later and I haven't read as much as some of you guys have. Well, and they, but they were up. never, they were never, that's the thing about this relationship. That's so it important. Was all subtext. It was all subtext and it was all coded. Mm -hmm. They, oh, there was really? like, there was like, you know, a hand on a shoulder or whatever. There was like these soft, like intimate little moments, but she was always described as like mystique's dear friend or confidant. Like they are, like, this is like the original gal pals. Like one time though, Claremont <laughs> actually did speak, did slip in an archaic old term during the shadow King saga where he said you know the lemon like you know mystique the l-e-m-a-n which is not really a term people use nowadays Le but it means it's lemon Le Le thank yes. you Le thank Mon. you Le right Mon. you know that is that was not the only explicit text 
I <laughs> that was the only like that was the closest we had to explicit confirmation of Mystique and Destiny until they did well, the... and then Rogue, and then Rogue being raised by Mystique and Destiny. You're like, oh, okay, are these coworkers and colleagues? <laughs> <laughs> you know, are they just you know co-parenting like for no reason? Like, so there was like this implication, but it was never explicit until that's why that panel of "I want my wife back." was so important because it was like that was the moment where it was just very very clearly clearly defined you know see i didn't i didn't know any of this like i thought like that that was like a well so i didn't know it was a subtext like i thought that was like a well-known like plot line or something Mm -mm. so like because yeah when, when that happened that took me by surprise and and i've been so anxious to like have this dealt with as i mentioned like i love the action but like the drama of x-men right now is so great and just rife with tension and 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 it's, it's all leading into inferno i think and i'm just i i'm like it, the the excitement for inferno is like distracting me from the excellence of the hellfire gala like it's kind of funny because i usually don't like events unless apparently they're just x-men events <laughs> like because i'm like give me more of them but i guess <laughs> i guess it's different when i buy all the x books so like i'm getting them anyway i don't have to buy like 20 extra tie-ins right that also helps right i think passion is really hard yes. it's one of the harder things yes. to come across in in comic books like they try and do it they try and be sexy and a lot of times it works you know like artists can draw sexy women yes and and, and beautiful men with abs and and glistening you know with their shirts off and stuff like we get that but i think real raw passion is hard sometimes for both writers and artists to come together and make that really exist on the page Mm -hmm. and we totally get that in the last page of this comic and it's also really tricky with destiny and mystique specifically because like when we meet destiny she's an older lady right yeah. like mm. in the comics back in the freedom force days she was an older lady so like i think hundreds. that's i think that makes it even harder to kind of you know show <laughs> show passion but like here you know in the during the industrial revolution or whenever this was yeah. she was a, a young hot thing and yeah that passion came across yeah. like very 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 well very yeah, loud and, and clear teacup, and that teacup spilling and her her yeah. glasses you know yeah. flying <laughs> off behind her like i was i was just like damn like get and, it yeah yeah and it, that was some that we never really got to see from that relationship we saw them being the intimate companions like the mm. later in life you know like they were always by each other's side they were like beloved right. how are you confidants doing? yeah yes they were like the they were like historians would have said they were great friends but right. like that panel right there like there is and it is so well drawn to like wow like yeah. there is some like hot fucking passion between those two that yeah. we've never really gotten to explore yeah, reading this digitally was fun because it, you know, you know, when you read it digitally, it almost adds like an animation to it. And seeing mm-hmm. like Mystique go in for the kiss and then it end with like Destiny really lunging into it and spilling yeah. the tea, like literally spilling the tea again. <laughs> so good. Just brilliant on several levels. Yeah, uh, I'm a so, sucker for a Mystique reveal. You know, like I am a sucker yeah, for. they're like, always great. Anytime Mystique, like you know, and she's using it to topple some like dumb rich white dude. Like, give yeah. that shit to me in spades. Like, I loved it. This was this was a really great story. I want to, if if you guys don't mind, I want to uh, move to definitely a, a story that I think we need to cover is uh, the Black Cat and Jesse Drake story. But yes, the Black Cat and Jesse Drake story that was absolutely amazing. That's the one Leah wrote, right? Yeah, this yeah. this was such a cool story. I mean, Jesse Drake 
like completely forgotten character. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to front and say like I and pretend like I knew who she was or I yeah. ever read that Marvel Comics Presents 150 or whatever. Like just a truly literally forgotten character, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, thanks to to X Twitter and some people, I think uh, you know, specifically I'll shout out to Danny Kinney for for I think yep. being kind of like Soul, you know, advocate for Jesse Drake. Uh, I don't think Marvel will ever, uh, you know, give her credit for that. (laughs) Not not explicitly, but like, if you know, you know. And like, Danny definitely brought awareness to this character. And I think, you know, it's a domino effect. Like, eventually, some creators that are also on X Twitter got a whiff of this and and somebody decided to do with it. Uh, Let me see. It was Leah. Yes, absolutely. Leah Williams. Yeah, so this, she just did a great job with this. This was such a cool story. It was so cool to like actually give Jesse Drake agency. She is canonically now back on the board, a uh, a confirmed mutant, you know, living in the Krakoan era. And like, if we don't see Jesse Drake in something very soon, I think we riot. No, there is there is there is a story announced already that uh jesse will be reappearing and i think it's actually going to be with black with black cat well, that's yeah. so, the, the end of this says like uh the end question mark too we get like the yeah in the question mark so i think this story is going to be one of the ones that are actually continued outside of the marvel versus pride so loving that and yeah i'm so glad like like you said Arturo, I, I i know a lot of obscure characters but i had no idea who jesse drake was i, I never read a lot of the marvel comic presents so just having X Twitter bring that character back up it was amazing. I we need a lot more of that superhero re- representation. I'd love to see her go actually to Krakoa. I kind of get why she doesn't want to, and I kind of like also exploring a mutant who doesn't want to go to Krakoa, who isn't Justice, who I fucking hate. But um, <laughs> sorry. Wait, <laughs> who's Justice? Vance Astro, <laughs> fucking. Like Marvel Boy from New Warriors, and why do you hate him? <laughs> like, I, I feel like we're so we've stumbled onto a new story here, readers. Hold on, <laughs> that is that's a story for another time. But no, like no, I, honestly, I just his the turn that he's taken from being a teen teen vigilante into being the representation of uh, his positions during Civil War, his position during Avengers Academy. And right now, his position in Cradle have really served to rob any of the good he did as a new warrior. So he's definitely one of those kids who are, you know, like he grew up as a bad kid, but now he's a real cop kind of guy. So I also did think the uh, the Daredevil and Charlene McGowan story was amazingly important for the same reason where Elektra's like, wait, hold on, you've got MGH here. You know, we got to like fucking burn this facility down. And Charlene's like, no, 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 no. This is where I'm making hormones for people. Um, what was, Did anybody have any thoughts about that? Story? So I, I and this is me speaking from a place of ignorance that was that like a story beat that has been established in the pages of Hulk? Like, or is that like a new thing? I think that particular uh, part of it is a new thing. Oh, for real? Okay. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I... That, I that- that the MGH lab was there was was in Hulk 31, but I think the actual her building the facility for its current purposes. Well, I mean, I thought that was really cool in terms of just like that there is a canonically trans character. Like, I think that's really important. I think that's really, you know, really cool. And also kind of calling out the 
gaps in, you know, healthcare systems that don't really allow trans people to access the care that they that they need and want. So I, I think there was kind of like a meta commentary there. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, really, really cool story. Two two things I want to say about the sure. uh, about the, the the story with uh with are we calling her Lady Daredevil? No, she is just Daredevil. Okay, okay. Daredevil. So okay, yeah. sorry, I just saw it. it says AKA Daredevil. Okay, all right. Sorry, guys. You know. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert electra nachos is daredevil guys yeah. they're like no not lady daredevil not not daredevil lass um, okay two things two things i love one that they after you know they make peace and, and they they defeat the, the bad guys or whatever they go to a gay bar for mm-hmm. drinks love that and I love that uh, when the guy asks her, oh, do you know my my sister's also trans? Yeah. And she's like, not all trans people know each other. But they're like texting at the end. She's like, that, yeah. That oh, made I didn't me know laugh, you. man. I <laughs> cracked up. That was so that was funny. So like so brilliant. Just, yeah. There's two other Cohen stories I do want to talk about. So one was a one I should have been my favorite story. The Vita piece on Karma. I <laughs> that the deserve. Yes, you, you, I, you deserve. I'm not a fan. I, not a fan. You know, that I is not my karma. Don't I? Her her representation was okay. What I don't like is how it. If if this story is canonically true, then Vita, they've been queer baiting us with the Danny. Yeah, what happened to what time. happened to Shannon Danny? Like, that's what yeah. I, I I. That's exactly it. I hate what this does to their actual relationship. Like I I want them together. That feels like that's actually a thing. And as far as like just the disservice to Karma because. When you look at this in the scheme, in the grand scheme of everything else that's going on, she's just been through some shit. She died and was resurrected. Like, she should be, like, in this empowered kind of phase. And to see her, like, sighing and unsure and scared, I'm like, who the fuck? This isn't, this isn't, this isn't karma how she was two weeks ago, much less the resurrected, like, empowered karma that I want to see now. Yeah, like, I was thinking of her Hellfire reveal, like, the big shock where she not Mm -hmm. only was killed and resurrected, but chose to have her, her leg removed and the prosthetic mm-hmm. put back yep. on because yep. that's that's how much she owned her identity that was yep. now a part of her like and she was just just owning all of that and and her like walking into the hellfire gala with that awesome dress with the beautiful collar and just showing off her legs and being like this is me and i'm back and there was so much agency there and yeah it is all taken away in these pages that that was infuriating okay. alone but just, wait she, this was just, written by vita yeah Which was written by vita this was written by vita and and just too the fact that like yes i I love that iliana got a moment but if if shan isn't with danny danny is shan's closest confidant so wouldn't danny be the one like that would have been a perfect interaction for them to have it just didn't click for me because it it doesn't seem like vita what they're writing in new mutants yeah there was a huge disconnect i was yeah i hate it i would agree yeah yeah it seems very like it seems like it was almost editorially mandated like that marvel was like no you need to go in there and write that karma likes his other girl so that people don't think her and Danny are together anymore. 
but oh, that's even more infuriating. That's even worse. That yeah. would be like, awful during the Pride issue. That yeah, that. <laughs> we're, we're, we hear the fans; they want to see you know Karma have a girlfriend. So let's give her somebody that doesn't even exist. Like, let's just make up a new character. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, whatever. I mean, you know, hey, Mazel. Like, if they end up together and it this is like her new girlfriend, like, okay, whatever. No, like, no, not whatever though. Like that she. <sighs> You should have been kissing Danny at the end of this. Is I, the I whole, agree. The I whole agree. time yeah. I was like, I, I like it. It just threw me off. And then like I was because even with even with like the how you know pouty and kind of defeated she is, I was like I could have dealt with that if it would have been her and Danny kissing and dancing in the end. And I don't, yeah. I don't know why that was taken from us. I really yeah, don't. I I hate it. So on on one hand, yay, we finally got to see Shan kiss a girl. On the other hand, it's like what the fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leave it to Nathan to find <laughs> both sides on this. No, we can all agree this sucked. This like this is not like they should. She should have be with Danny, and they should have kissed when she was resurrected, and that yeah. would that would have been the story. And seeing them dancing together and like being together like this, I, you know, whatever. I'm happy for Karma. Like I want her to be happy, but this ain't it. I'm, I'm just gonna like just preface this. The reason I haven't been too talkative is I just thought like this whole bride thing was just like. Eh. like there were some good parts but also some like not good parts oh no Um, i get it and this one was just it was okay it was it was fine. It was definitely nice having like Wolverine is like a Wolverine is queer because like having a main character being queer. Oh no. But at least like someone in the Wolverine family that's so popular and like kind of turns the whole like alpha male bullshit ideals on its head is kind of cool. And I did think it was really sweet that they did kind of have that little reunion Um, But also showing that they both are moving on in their other directions and can have this healthy thing where it's like they acknowledge their past and they're still friends and there's no animosity. And I think that's a really good story to tell is that like you don't see that in comics much anyway with um, either heterosexual or queer romance where like an ending is good kind of thing and done well for any relationship. Oh, I agree. It was definitely nice to see an ending to it. So I it's a it's a good point you made. And there's been a lot of general like general mixed reception to this. So Evelyn, what would you have really liked to see come out of these this Marvel Voices Pride to make it so like, a better my biggest thing that kind of like almost turned me off of this was like we were saying there's a lot of Krakoan and mutant stories a lot of them there were like made there were like three like little shorts that weren't that and the rest was all like different mutants and x-men and i like i was looking at it and i'm like is like one we couldn't talk about loki because he's too popular of a character so we don't want to upset people but also like it just kind of shows that like yes while we have a good amount of representation right now it really is mostly with the x-men not really other marvel stories and while X-Men has never been the ones to shy away from diversity, even if they do it in a shit way sometimes, 
but the rest of Marvel just doesn't. I'm okay and- with it. Like, yeah, I don't want it to necessarily be like that. But, like, if we got to kind of, you know, make X-Men be the, the queer corner of the Marvel Universe, I can totally live with that. But if we're going to do that, then let them be queer. Like, then let yeah, Karma and Mirage exactly. be together. Like, let us have literally every type of representation. Get Jesse Drake on Krakoa. I want to see ace characters, non-binary characters. Yeah. like. Like literally everything, like yeah. that's fine. If it, and that's how it felt like in the Love Is Love, you know, splash page at the end. Yeah, you see a couple of these Marvel characters, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It is there is a lot of uh, a lot of mutant on mutant action, but I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah, because while something that really bothers me because I have a lot of non-binary and trans friends and something that they say bothers them, which now bothers me because it bothers them is the whole idea of the aliens kind of being other in a way to try to be other. And that seemed to reflect where they had these mutants where because of their mutation, there wasn't like a defined gender set to them being, queer and it just that just kind of left like a a, like a a bad taste in my mouth a little bit and then i mean i know i'm criticizing this issue but like it's it's, criticism though it's just it it just like while i really and i did enjoy it don't get me wrong i really enjoyed it but it was just like the problematic things were just too problematic and something that i've always been a critic of is disney who now owns marvel where they're just like oh my god pride and it's like uh yeah you're supporting pride to get the money but you won't make any main characters queer you won't have any queer characters characters and stuff basically because you don't want to ostracize the Chinese, Russian and South Asian market and other anti LGBT plus uh, countries because of how much money you want. And so to me, when Disney does things like pride, to me, it just reads uh, gays, give us your money rather than like actually like supporting. (laughs) And so that's just something that's in the back of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. But like, they're also, I mean, yes, all valid a hundred percent, but like, and we can't fix everything right Right, but like at least in this issue it is queer stories told by queer creators about different queer experiences like yeah and i think that's like you know i mean yeah this this isn't perfect and sure there's a lot of other you know spots we could have filled and like 100 percent. but at least it's you know and i mean not to sound like uh you know whatever just happy to get whatever scraps we can but like (laughs) it is something it's a step in the right direction even if it is also tinged with yeah gays give it give us your money i just want to say one thing about the duck hen story that i loved so much you know i think there's been some criticism that in x factor duck hen was you know kind of straightened out and and he's in this you know quote unquote straight relationship and a couple of things about that just because he's with Aurora now Aurora now does not make him any less bi he's still bisexual and I love that in this story they're still together they're still a couple and but he's obviously being very honest with her she knows and accepts every part of him that was such a beautiful story and and just the way that they handled it I think it's a little bit weird that this new character is being retconned into existence but that's happened before you know with like characters like sentry and i'm sure there's other examples so like there is some precedence it's a little weird but i'm here for it i'm 
I am going to follow the the exploits of Somnus, whether or not they are explicitly X-Men books or just, uh, you know, X-Men adjacent. I'm into this new character and I love that they use Daken as a as an entry point for him. I'm, I'm really excited about it. So that, that point you made about people being upset about Daken really kind of like solidifies the point that was made in the Think Fast story where, where people people like a lot of people don't believe in bisexuality for some reason like i just because somebody is in a straight presenting relationship at the time does not mean that they are straight like you can't erase you shouldn't erase somebody's bisexuality pansexuality just because they are any opposite sex coupling at the moment they still have that same sex attraction they still have to deal with the same issues that we have to deal with they are still part of our community and Dakin, even in that story in the whole expector run talked about you know attraction to men even though Dakin is really into aurora right now doesn't doesn't take away his attraction to men at the time also you do make a good point about the alienism of some of like the trans and non-binary characters i kind of mentioned that a while ago during a few during an interview we did where and also with the cancellation of x factor where it seems like marvel at the time is like oh cool guardians of the galaxy is our gay book now so we're going to cancel x factor so you know like marvel thinking one you can't have two gay books but then also it takes away the human representation of the lgbtqia community and puts it on that alien scale where these are fantastical alien characters so sarah as amazing as that character is sarah is an angel and you know is an angel trans character is amazing but it's not a human trans character same with like cloud and their non-binaryism and i know cloud's coming back in defenders so oh shout out to the she-hulk story uh oh yes i know yes. i know that also got some kind of pushback and and i i get that and you know yeah i got like i saw a lot of hate about that but i don't get it because like if okay i'll say this if and i'm just gonna speak bluntly so no offense to anybody but if that character had been a drag queen doing you know doing she-hulk drag like then yes i think you could you could you know level a lot more criticism to it but the fact that they took the opportunity to create this whole other you know trans character who's just a you know a a regular human right Uh, just a cosplayer like just part of the culture i thought was really cool like yeah you know i mean yeah sure if if you see that as like bait and switch it has nothing to do with actual jennifer walters and okay cool but like i know she hulk as a character means a lot to a lot of trans girls out there and that's what i saw on the page was this character who really reflect like i can imagine that there's some fans out there that are like damn that's literally me like that's what I thought too. Cause these, as much as we love these characters and identify with them, they're not real. There right. are, there are no X-Men there. There are no mutants. There are no Avengers, you know, right. like there's no Ninja Turtles. I fucking wish there were man, but they're not, they're <laughs> not there. A lot of the criticism I do understand because it it's one, it's, it's really short compared to the other stories. And two, it's again, it's like this character that we've never really seen before. And we don't know if we're ever going to see them again. And that kind of brings the criticism where, like, literally, they just don't have trans characters, so they just had to make one up mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. using one that they actually have, and that's part of the right. Criticism. But like, we have we have Jesse Drake in another story. We have Doctor what's her name, Doctor Charlene McGowan. McGowan, like, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not absolving them of of any you know problem. Yeah, there's the answer to all of this is always yes more. and more. Like, yeah. yes, 
and more like we need more and we need diversity and like but at the same time like if that had been the only trans character in this whole thing sure get pissed but it wasn't i just kind of felt like it was marvel and the creators saying like hey we see you yeah uh, totally but, but i mean that again i you know I, i'm not the one being represented here so i think it's right. easier for me to to, yep. to kind of say oh that was cool totally. whereas other people could be like no it wasn't like we need more and i get that too but yeah i like i said i there was i mean in all these voices issues like there's always been some people speaking out about them and ne- negatively and it's and I mean, that's, I mean, that's how it's going to be. And, and hopefully, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're learning, you know, maybe next year when we get, may, hopefully these voices issues continue, because I do think they're wildly important. And, and hopefully next year, and as, as the more come out, you know, it, it, they'll be appealing to wider audiences and, and, and trying to, you know, but I mean, you'll never be able to make everybody happy, but they can always keep trying, which is, yeah. I think yeah. that, that's the big point, right? Like keep trying, yeah. keep telling stories like these, but also put these stories in your real stories in your ongoing books exactly yeah that's a big takeaway is like this is a great special but like i want to see this kind of energy like 12 months a year you know and i can i can see sorry go ahead Evelyn. yeah oh yeah me too i'm gonna say i can i can see you know so the the problem with stories are right everybody tells their own story from their own perspective so I, i get where the criticism is is because you know the this is one issue and like you guys were mentioning as well you know we want to see this continued throughout we want to see all of the diversity that's been on display throughout all of the marvel voices continue throughout the whole line and you know until we see it we're always going to be very cautious and and critical when they deserve it of the stories that deserve it so marvel you gotta step you gotta step up you gotta keep up with this intensity and actually deliver it throughout your whole line and not just through the marvel voices series i'm just gonna say it again i thought it was kind of bland i mean they did some important stuff they did tell some really good stories but it just it It just didn't feel right in some way as well. It just, I don't know. It it may just be me right now, but it just, it just came off not totally kosher. Hey everyone, it's Nathan. And in this next segment, Raven and I continue our amazing Marvel Voices Pride coverage where we get to discuss our our favorite stories from throughout the LGBTQIA queer spectrum. We hope you enjoy our conversation as much as we had fun doing it. And we, we hope you come out seeing some pieces in a little better light or in a different light, depending on what your take of the story is. Hello, everyone. It's continuing our Pride coverage. And this time I have with me the lovely Raven. Raven, say hi to everyone. Hello, Raven. Oh, wait. No, wait. (laughs) Hi, it's Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento, your queer art ho auntie, (laughs) bringer of bad ideas, maker of happy evil. I don't know what to tell you. you can find me on twitter you can find me on twitch on instagram i'm kind of all over the place but yeah you'll find me start a conversation see where i take it <laughs> right and right i'm nathan you can find me at does away because i'm gay as hell on twitter what? and instagram 
And like, if you didn't know, it is Pride issue again. Yay! Because so, Pride is year round. <laughs> Pride should be year round. Right. You're gay. I'm pansexual. Let's do this noise. Let's do this sucker. So, my favorite, one of my favorite sayings is be gay, do crimes. Do you <laughs> think Marvel brought the gay? And do you think it was a crime? <laughs> I definitely think I think they brought the queer. Thank you. That's even better. It's, yeah, it's not it's not just gay because it wasn't just gay or lesbian or pansexual or bisexual or asexual. They brought the everything, and I honestly I appreciated this issue so much. Not only was it thicker than usual, it also had a lot of backstory that pointed out a lot of the queer, <laughs> all the different queer characters that Marvel has had, some that have flown under the radar, some who were very prominent and out, many of them who've been over the last several decades. So yeah, it was great to see kind of where our representation has come from and where it's gotten to, because it, trust me, it's been a lot. Yeah, Marvel, in terms of representation, has done a lot since their beginning days. So, like, it's not a secret North Star was always supposed to be gay when Alpha Flight started. So, like, it was pretty heavily quoted in there. Yeah. And, like, did you know they were going to have him come out in about issue 40 or something? He got sick from a mysterious illness. Yeah. 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 So in, it was in the, the 90s. Analog. And that was that was the 80s, unfortunately. But yeah, but I'm like, <laughs> as far as uh, addressing issues, yeah, sometimes uh, Marvel and most comic yeah. books do wait a little bit of time sometimes for a certain. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just like, oh, they 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 played those story arcs almost the exact same way as what was actually happening in the 80s. So, yeah, yeah I mean, like. Ooh, nail on the head. Holy shit. <laughs> so originally he was supposed to get sick and have an AIDS-like illness and die in issue like 50. So thankfully Marvel was like, no, that is probably not a good idea for us to do. They did eventually have him come out in issue like 106 in another AIDS story. But this time it was about he found a baby who had AIDS. And this whole story is presented at who had, no, the baby did have AIDS. The whole HIV and AIDS story. I want to make mm -hmm. sure I get that right. The baby did at that point have AIDS and pass on shortly after being adopted by North Star. And that whole story mm -hmm. is actually reprinted at the end of this Pride issue because it is, mm -hmm. while not perfect representation, it is the start of representation in Marvel for mm -hmm. the queer community. It was really big for companies such as Marvel, who, yeah, they were big at the time, but I mean, it was still dangerous ground for them to be on to yeah. make commentary about specifically the AIDS crisis. And so, yeah, like they had to bring in a sympathetic villain to interact with the supportive or ally centered main character. So yeah, it's like, I, I understand why they did it. Now it's like, you know, it's so out of date. It doesn't stand that test of time. But at that point in time, they right. desperately needed this particular type of storytelling just to even be able to put it on the page and get it to the masses. They tried to go the very direct route with it. It would have never flown with all the comic code stuff going on, especially in the 90s. So this was this was their really good workaround for that and it did help 
to start representation and having commentary or discussion about things that are going on, you know, in the real world, which that's where our comic book is sort of loosely based. So let's talk about it. <laughs> so it does, it does bring us to, there is a cute little uh, story where Kyle and Northstar are hanging out in Krakoa. What did you think about that cute little tale? It was, I thought it was adorable. That was so, I loved it because it was so sweet and intimate. And it honestly, this is like, I think the side of queer community or especially with gay men that a lot of people don't seem to register when they have a particular opinion of, of, of what gay men do and what gay men are. You know, it's always the, oh, you know, he's just going to hit and quit and they're just all promiscuous and da 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 And here we get to see this loving gay married couple. And instead of, you know, seeing all the, oh yeah, we're doing all this superhero stuff, you get to see this kind of slower... <laughs> which for North Star is very difficult. Slower, quieter, more intimate view of daily life, of just waking up and getting ready in the morning. And you get to see this love and intimacy and this commitment between partners. Yes, one who is a mutant and, you know, superhero and whatnot. But the other person who he loves just as deeply, even though he's human, he doesn't have any superpowers or whatever. But like, oh, the connection between the two of them was so wonderful. I really, really, really enjoyed seeing it. And it was beautifully, beautifully done. And I kind of like there's a point in it that he kind of makes where he gets to see Northstar with his armor down. And mm -hmm. I, I think the more I think about that, it's just, there's a reason that a lot of the queer community comes across as either like overly sassy or overly overly one way or the other because mm -hmm. it's armor that we have to put on to deal in the heteronormative society oh, and yeah. to just like protect ourselves from not even the microaggressions but just the flat out bigotry and prejudice mm -hmm. against the queer community out there. yeah because because sometimes <laughs> i hate to say it but sometimes you have to be just unabashedly flamingly queer in the other person's face and and ready to go toe to toe with everything you got and you're like yeah you sometimes you just really do have to come across as i'm going to be more problems than is worth <laughs> to deal with yeah you think i'm loud now Bitch, trust me it gets worse and i and this is just this is a signal call to my other queers around help <laughs> Just like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness. But uh, okay. So, what's you your been... favorite story? I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, how did you like the runaway story between Nico and and um, Carolina? I have fallen in love with their relationship in this new runway series. And this wasn't anything new to me, but it was really nice to see. They they don't mm -hmm. always get these quiet moments in their series. They, they rarely get the quiet moments in their series at all. Right. But it was really nice to see just the, the love and the connection between these two women who you know nico she's bisexual right or pansexual i, I think she's know. pan yeah, yeah and then uh carolina is i believe she's a lesbian right and mm -hmm. then um it, it's just it's so nice to see these characters and it's just like in the art it's so like just that first panel there where carolina is just looking at nico and she's like oh yeah god i love this woman like that's just what her eyes are saying mm -hmm. and i love every second of it yeah the the facial expressions were so well done so beautifully well done 
And I also love how much queer representation was in that line. So many different body types and ethnicities and like, like you could see kind of where yeah. certain queer cultures were, were cropping up with some of the ways that people dress. I'm like, yes, I loved it. It was like the perfect slice of life along with that. Yeah, just, yeah, I love the way their relationship has really been forming up. And it was great to see them in a quiet moment because so often it is just go, 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 go. Especially with these two because they have to be the adults in their group. So, you know, it's like very rarely do they get quiet or calm moments or moments where they're not seemingly in distress. So it was kind of, yeah, nice to see them be able to have that quiet moment together. Just, it made me so happy. And you know what? I never even really noticed when, until you just brought it up, the, the whole representation in that line, like I'm loving it. I'm like, Ooh, they drew, they drew a queer man and he's not just a stick or just a, just a, just a, a ball of muscles. They drew a chonky guy. Yay. Chonky guy. Right. Like they, guy rap. they had chonky guys. They, I'm sure that they had several people in there who were just non-binary. You know, they had Absolutely. All, all kinds of, of definitely like lesbians and femboys. And like, I even see somebody who's got a headscarf on. So I'm, I'm guessing somebody who is Muslim. Like, it's yes. amazing that you have such wonderful and varied uh, representation. And that followed suit throughout the book. Yes. So, like, even if you jump over to, like, uh, Daredevil is the next story. Again, you see so many different types of representations of people and of expressions that it's just, oh, it's fabulous and wonderful and lovely. And I don't know if you have been reading Immortal Hulk, but Charlene is a character I've fallen in love with over there. And I love that that we are getting some trans rep in these books. Yeah. Like, every month. Like, <laughs> is it ideal? Absolutely fucking not but like we're, we're starting to see it um mm -hmm. and that story is a cute story i like i like how charlene she's like not every trans person knows each other and then at the end of the story she's like <laughs> hey i didn't know your cousin was a super villain oh god that loser <laughs> okay that was funny but yeah uh i think your original question to me was what was my Sorry. favorite yes, story what is your favorite story Honestly, my favorite story is totally invulnerable. I absolutely adored this story because I loved the twists. The twists were really great because, you know, you're like, oh, my God, cool, She-Hulk. And, and, you know, you've got these, you know, super villain steps on in. And it's Titania. It's like, <laughs> big, beautiful, just muscle bruiser and everything. And, and she Hulk throws a plate of food in her face and books it. I'm like, oh, oh God, oh God! And she's like, oh no, I'm I'm a cosplayer. She's like, oh my God, honey, I'm so sorry. Like to, to see that backpedal yes. to to see that you know villains aren't just mindless. You know they're yeah. not just world domination. Like she had a beef with her, and then she found out. Oh God, oh I'm so sorry. I picked the wrong person. But then you actually get to see the origin story of this person and why they chose to dress up as She-Hulk. And oh my god, it like oh, I was practically in tears. I loved it so freaking much because you get to see why this person gravitated to this big, you know, huge, strong woman. Because they look very male presenting at first. Yeah. And so you see that, 
you know, their body never cooperated with how they wanted to present themselves and they didn't see themselves really represented. And then suddenly they found themselves represented in these comic books, you know, via She-Hulk and, and, and whatnot. So yeah, she like, she found these comic books, this representation of who she could be. And that made her more comfortable in her body. And so that's why she's dressed up like her because, you know, it's like, hey, this is my hero. And this is, this is the person who represented me. And I got to see this and this helped me become who I am. So this is I'm like oh my god it's so sweet i love it i want everybody to feel this and of course they had De deadpool in the background i almost died i, almost, <laughs> I loved it the little deadpool cosplayer but yeah I, no, it was so great <laughs> it, it was cute i i i actually liked it more i the story got a lot of flack online as well because mm -hmm. it didn't it they people said it featured a throwaway character which i i guess but at the same time i think it brought actually more real world connection to why so many queer people overall are so connected to these characters in these books mm -hmm. and I thought it was a really great look at it that way and Marvel was saying or at least the writer of that story was saying hey I see you I see mm -hmm. why you love these characters and you know this is why we do what we do exactly and and that at least that's how I took it that's how that's how it came across to me and I I would honestly love to see Jennifer Harris I believe she said her name was I would love to see her show up again yes please especially in a she-hulk episode or in a she-hulk oh issue that would be freaking awesome i would love to see this character come back like i don't feel that characters who show up in voices are throwaway characters absolutely i think they are potential characters that you can draw into these storylines so that you can show that heroes and villains, all these characters have actual impact and interaction with real world people. And to me, that's part of the evolution of comics. It's not just, ooh, this big thing happening out here in space, Aww. or I'm saving a building yet again. You need to humanize your, your villains. You need to humanize your heroes. And they need to know that they have an impact on people that's how you evolve the hero narrative you can't just leave it stagnant it needs somewhere to go so and, and that's kind of like something that I've, I've kind of been bringing up lately where there is there used to be more of a uh, standard where if you're going to introduce like a, a queer or a trans or whatever character you would mm -hmm. do you would introduce an alien who yeah. was that way so like even probably one of the biggest trans route sarah is not a human being so you know mm -hmm. angela who's you know fell in love with sarah angela's an angel like you know they're they're not human you're not getting that human element they're these huge fantastical things and yes it's really nice to see but we're not getting humans experiencing this exactly exactly and on some level we need more human characters Absolutely. or or well representing analogs to human characters yeah. to 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 really get that point across honestly absolutely and, and yeah i mean fair point well representing analogs because superheroes aren't real right right yeah <laughs> I, I, no I haven't seen anybody who can actually like you know levitate an entire tanker off the ground i'm just saying i mean i'd love to have a superpower but no right. you know <laughs> i'm just um, saying you know, it, it, something you said made me realize that out of all the Marvel voices, this is probably the one that had the most little stories in it. Oh, God. I just tripped over another one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, yeah. Had, Wait, tell me. Oh, they had, 
I loved, like, they did so well at giving these artists a little bit of extra space. So they they still had a couple of, you like, nice short ones that were concise, yeah. some that I loved, some that I didn't. But they gave, I think they gave them a little bit more time to tell their stories, and that really helped with the pacing on a lot of them. God, uh, man of his dreams. Oh, oh, oh I almost cried. Oh, oh, I almost cried so hard on that one, because... You, you could feel Dawkin has had a really hard backstory. If you know him at all, like it's been just murder, mayhem, a lot of it, like really dark, really, really messed up. Like his, 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 if you don't know this by now, his own father had to kill him at one point, like straight up murked his ass because he was way, yeah, yeah, like way too much of a liability to say the least. So to be able to see a slightly softer side of Dokken, to be able to see him in a more human light, to be able to see him have a life that was beautiful and peaceful and happy versus bloodied and, you know, madcap and just constantly horrifying and you know survival driven like for one night in this man's dream he got to live an entire peaceful loving lifetime like yeah. i almost almost cried at that you oh. know, I, had to, I had to look this up because i didn't even realize that steve orlando wrote this i just mm. i thought leo williams just the way that Dakin that Dakin had moved over from like that perfect x-factor personification mm-hmm. it, it was seamless it was flawless like it's still that same character that we've been presented with but mm-hmm. he got even more in depth and i was like oh yeah yeah. And I'm fascinated to see Sonus actually take a role on Krakoa now. Mm-hmm. Those powers are fascinating. Right. And, and let's just be let's be honest, the man's fine, but you know. Oh, that'd be uh, that'd be so amazing. Oh I need it. And I I love the fact that finally, at least to me, it feels like they finally sort of portrayed a bisexual person correctly. Oh, good, yeah. Because so often you have the bisexual representation with, oh, they kissed somebody of the same gender. Oh, yeah, they had that one-night fling. So, yeah, yeah, canonically, yeah, they're absolutely... And in this, you see, he lived an entire lifetime with this man, committed to him, loving him, even though it was only one night. So, like, you get to see his commitment to um, Aurora in in current comics, and you get to see his commitment to this man who he knew had to live in the closet and knew that he did not deserve to have to live in that closet. Like, <laughs> yes please can we do this so like yeah i mean he he let this man live his entire lifetime and pass away and then brought him back like he's like i can't tell you how to live your life i'm gonna let you live this way but i know that you deserve so much more so i'm gonna bring you back so you get to do it again Yay. that's it's beautiful and and there's so many interesting storytelling pieces that you can that you can there's so many different branches you can go off mm-hmm. of that like the directions are like the possibilities are endless not, not to do a sandman reference because you know it is kind of sandman-esque powers but mm-hmm. like um so i gotta ask one of my favorite ones was the irene and raven <gasps> yes oh my god 
What was your thoughts about uh, that beautiful piece? I I've just more recently gotten into the Irene Mystique yeah. arena and you know figuring out what all that is going on. <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. It's like it's not that I didn't want to be on board before. Trust me, I want to be, but it's a lot. And like the more I see, the more I'm like, <laughs> she, 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 she's gonna fuck you all up. <laughs> she's going to, and she's right to, and she's so right to to do that. But oh my god, that story was so beautiful. It was so, <laughs> it was so beautifully played. Because yeah, it 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 very much rolled out like a Sherlock Holmes Absolutely. thing. I mean, hello Moriarty, duh. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, hello Irene Adler. Is, right is destiny and that's the one woman that holmes like was like the most fascinated with in all of the world right, right. anyway anyway <laughs> but yeah no it was it, not only was it just kind of beautifully done it's a chess game and like literally it's a chess game yep and, and it was oh, so well done like not only like the black male, the the cis white man thinking that he has power over a woman because he has caught her in a compromising position of love. <laughs> yeah. And to think that, you know, if he if she turns him down, he can force himself literally on her. Like, oh, oh. So basically he threatened the woman she loves, the woman, well who she is <laughs> and, and and threatened physical harm oh did he just fuck himself and not know it like yep. yeah when he, when he was sitting there laying it out i was like you're trying to pull one over on destiny you're trying to pull one over on destiny but then then when it was when then when destiny was revealed to be mystique i was like oh fuck he's gonna get what he deserves oh yeah like okay destiny is just amazing in and of herself but i'm just like i'm like part of my brain's like i bet this is not who he thinks it is <laughs> yep it's mystique one of my favorites and mystique is very much a strategic thinker she thinks long game all the time so she's got the little bit of help from Destiny as well. Oh, you better believe she's just going to bread breadcrumb you into thinking that you have the upper hand. Oh, no, no, no. She loves to give you that, that extra boost of confidence. You're like, ha ha. She's like, <laughs> I was like, she's like, oh. fucking sucker crap. And she threw his ass out the train. <laughs> like she's not. She's like, oh, wow, we've got a body to take care of. I'm like, she just hucked his ass out <laughs> on an overpet. Nobody's finding that till next nope. winter. Okay. <laughs> but it was it was so beautifully done and i love the not just the relationship but how that relationship is portrayed between mystique and destiny because there's so much tenderness but also so much intense love that goes both ways it does not feel like a one-way relationship which we've watched plenty of those happen <coughs> wolverine <coughs> jean gray <laughs> <coughs> Storm <coughs> T'Challa <coughs> will never get her back. He can eat my ass. Sorry. 
I, I almost said Cyclops and everybody, but like Telepath fucking seemed to like Cyclops for some reason. Like he must like he must have like mental big dick energy. But anyway, that no is not baby, what we're no, about. no. I'm sure he's got nothing going on in that brain, oh. which is why they like him because it's quiet. <laughs> they probably just hear carousel music <laughs> just... because you've got because i'm like what the fuck is it with cyclops and telepath because you had gene gray fucking psylocke tried to like seduce her way into him for like forever and emma frost so like anyway we're talking about destiny I'm just, and I'm, just saying, I'm just saying i'm sure they're going oh my god oh it's the sound of nothing i've got to be there now <laughs> just oh my god i can hear my own thoughts oh sweet jesus yes <laughs> Just saying. I I think you had mentioned, and I loved it, the amount of passion that was shown between Mystique and Destiny. Oh, because we've only really seen them as, you know, Mystique is kind of ageless because of her shape-shifting ability. But we've only seen Irene as like 120 or however old she would have been at that point in her life. You know, not able to do much. You know, she's like Aunt May. She danced with her a few times, gave her a peck on the cheek. Mm -hmm. This is like a pure, like, they are going to go to town right after the end. Like, (laughs) Like, you see them on on equal par on 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 even levels and you see that this love has lasted decades over a century even like it's so intense that it has burned since the 1900s like yeah that's powerful and uh, who who did the artwork for this because their facial expressions are um, so perfect like Jackie howard wrote it samantha uh, dodge and Brittany peer did the art and color oh it's so brilliantly done the 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 emotion is subtle but so like perfect so key like uh, it's hard to do a lot when you don't have like pupils on the eye the pupils often tell us kind of a lot and then of course you know the the eyebrows tell you so much but they between a blind woman and a woman without pupils they had so much intense love just even in that last page pass between them oh it's so good it's so gorgeous i just oh i love it i love it they did it so well so So well there's a story that i should have loved Mm -hmm. and i talked about this before but i did not love if 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 you've ever heard me talk about one of my favorite characters this is the story featuring her it's right after the gray lady so it's called you deserve the karma story So, what are your thoughts on that? I personally thought it was a walk back in it, and the fact that Vito wrote this and they're writing New Mutants as well seemed like it was a big disconnect between the stories that they're telling. Where in New Mutants, they're portraying Danny and Karma as this like, like they're totally fucking kind of thing. And in this You Deserve story, they're portraying Karma as this insecure, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Ileana, there's this girl I like. What do I do? Kind of person. Yeah, I was like, I, my brain is like, I could have sworn that, that Danny and Karma were together. So why is she chasing Gabrielle? And why does she seem like a nervous wreck? I mean, okay, she is wearing the couch, but like... I'm sorry. I'm gonna straight up say it. This is like one of my least favorite Hellfire looks. It's not beautiful, no. Not beautiful is an understatement. It literally looked like she fell back into a couch, 
with some super glue on, rolled around, stood up and went, wait, no, I need a drag queen earring right there. Like... <laughs> Okay, it's like the people who did the Hellfire Gala were like, you know, Nathan likes Karma, let's give her a horrible outfit. And Nathan <sighs> likes Dazzler, let's dress Dazzler like she went to Party City and bought her jumpsuit. Oh my god! Yeah, I was very much not a freaking fan. Yeah, so, Not like, a freaking fan. The Hellfire Gala did not have great looks for my favorite, so. <laughs> yeah, no, some some of these looks, I was like, really? Really? Not, not to disparage really? what the artist No, did. no, no amazing looks and it's really yeah. hard to oh, no, no, no. With, like great looks for i guess like five thousand characters but still exactly like i'm sure you're taking from you know across the universe of fashion because the, yeah. the trust me the universe of fashion is really freaking wacky um <laughs> but yeah just eh, i was confused just the way you were like at the disconnect because i was like a i thought she was pursuing somebody else and b she seems so super insecure that it was super weird to me because of anybody, Karma has a lot of confidence and she's worked to earn that confidence. Yeah. So like her being unsure and not confident about stuff, I'm just like, uh, this that mm, this doesn't feel quite on brand. And she's so pursuing the wrong person. So I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I was I was confused too. I the it was nice to see Shan actually get her first kiss. That was like that's the first time we've ever seen Shan actually kiss somebody, except for when she almost kissed Kitty Pride way back in Mechanic, like way back then. Mm. Yeah. So but, what, I mean, what other story? What is there a story that didn't resonate with you at all? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so early thaw. Oh. Was one of the ones that didn't really resonate with me because it. Uh, the characters felt like they had taken them from drastically different times. Okay. Um, I thought that Bobby and Warren were closer in age. This makes Bobby feel like he's. Oh, God, like 14? maybe like early teens whereas warren seems to be well into his 20s maybe older okay i get that that's a good and then magneto looks as old as he is now so like yeah there just seems to be this discount that okay i'm just gonna say this bluntly i never pegged bobby for being a little bitch But he's always been a little bitch. Well, I know that he's he's always been a I know that he's always been a bitch. He's been a douche. He's been you know yeah. that that bro. But this one where he's just sitting back like an angry teenager, and every mm. time Warren like touches a woman or somebody else, like he freezes the pool or has this like you know over the top reaction to it. I'm like that that feels like those stories where the queer person is set up to be the bad guy or the antagonist because oh they you know if if my crush just ever paid attention to me if they just noticed me i wouldn't be having these bad reactions that could possibly put other people in danger i'm like he froze an entire pool because he saw warren and and uh what was it gene gray yeah flirty, like flirty, just flirty flirty <laughs> this, this is not him so yeah no i did not connect really with that particular story at all, at all. no yeah just <laughs> right it's kind of i'm saying no it's fair I wish what, I did. <laughs> what other stories would you like to cover miss lovely miss raven miss dame red <laughs> or the last yeah. page i would like to address is 
the wedding vows between Hulkling and Wiccan. I think that was probably the most beautiful and honestly the best way you could have done so much in literally one page is to have these beautiful wedding vows written out very much in the style of the characters. It very much sounded like them. And then have all these great pictures in the background from the wedding. That just this did more for me as far as their marriage went than um the honeymoon issue that they had and again i'm not knocking the honeymoon issue that was fun that was fun it was a good romp but this this felt so much closer to the heart of who they are and really just i'm sorry i don't care who you are if you can't have a couple of wedding vows like that and just go these people really love each other yeah like you have to be cold and dead inside that's all i gotta say but yeah this i think was the single most effective one page story i've seen done across the different marvel voices and it was beautifully done and i loved it in fact who who did the vows because i want to give them a personal shout out by alan heinberg jim jim chung and marcelo mialo i hope i pronounced that right but yeah thank you thank you so much for doing this one page story because it came out amazing and fabulous and it was beautifully done from the color story to the artwork to the lettering like i love that each of the the notes in the background looks like it was you know typed on a different typewriter you know written slightly different just there was so much thought and detail put in without putting too much in and that's a really hard balance but yeah just mm, it melted my heart i loved it so much <laughs> I